0: to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. As long as they keep making animated Star Wars, Hope, Malmax, and Chris Honeywell will be on the case. Welcome to J-Guys and Jedi, a project that began with Clone Wars and now may never end.
1: Hi everyone! Welcome to a brand new episode of jagus and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering every episode of The Mandalorian. In this episode, after Grogu is taken by Moff Gideon, Din calls upon the help of Migs Mayfield to break into an Imperial compound. There will be Mayfield... Bringing all the feels this week because we are going into morally gray Star Wars. We're talking about the Mandalorian episode, The Believer, this week. How you doing, Chris?
2: I'm doing good.
1: Oh, I. How you doing? Off. Oh, it's been busy. I I had like my. I'm still my my first full week in my new job, and it's going well. I'm writing, like, my first, like, really big, high-intensive piece, and it should be out by now, Um, but essentially what I'm I'm talking about because of all the craziness that's been happening in animation recently, like, with Netflix and HBO and Warner just, like, destroying their animation and stuff like that, essentially, what does it mean for Lucasfilm? And, um, I'm really enjoying writing it, but it's a very intensive piece, but... I've also been writing a lot of news. I wrote about Hondo Anaka and Jim Cummings this morning um, because Jim Cummings was at Dragon Con. He was just like, I still want to play Hondo. I'm just waiting for them to call me, <laughs> essentially. I wrote about that, so writing a lot of news and and stuff and um, a cool announcement that I'll have after I hear about your week.
2: My week's been good. I had a couple days off from work for for Labor Day um, reasons, which was nice, I got a lot of uh, a lot of podcasting work done. At a nice, relaxed pace. It's 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 a cool night here, and, and uh, it's kind of chilly in my house. I'm wearing my uh, Darth Vader um, little furry one piece. I... snug as a bucket, basically in my PJs.
1: I cannot wait for it to cool down because technically it's like we've had like low, like it's been low to mid 80s. But the humidity, the humidity is still crazy. And I hate it. And I'm just like, I want it to be fall now. <laughs> We're
2: having cold, rainy fall, fall days for a couple days. And then it's back to like summer of like even like hot nights of like 80s and 90s during the day. We had one weird day last week. It was great. It was one of those great days at work where it was just beating down. It was actually cooler in the kitchen than it was outside because my work has actual some some degree of, of air conditioning that actually like cuts down the total heat in the kitchen and good fans and stuff. But it was hot outside and, you know, I have to go outside to do parts of my job and shit. And then this rainstorm came through, and it went from 92 degrees to 76 degrees in like a seven-minute time period.
3: Oh, I love so when like, that happens!
2: Open like the door was open, and it was beating down sun. We closed the door, and then like ten minutes later, opened up the door, and the rain had just stopped, and like cool air, like like you know, 20 degrees cooler air just came. Well, almost 20 degrees cooler air came rushing in we're like what is going on it's like three in the afternoon
1: that sounds so nice
2: it was it was for that day but uh, after that it's been either hot or cold so we're on the edge of of fall which fall is really nice up here
1: we will probably be getting into our fall next month and it is um in and yeah so it's it's September right now, so uh October will be when we get to fall. Yes, I am so ready for fall myself. It's my favorite haul it's my favorite season and you know, they just started the pumpkin spice lattes and I will I refuse to get one until it's at least slightly cold.
2: Oh <laughs> uh, well. Slightly
1: well slightly cold. You
2: know, not to be a spoiler, but you may be getting some pumpkins sooner than
1: i know i saw sooner our, than later i saw our also i know
2: we're on a like two week lag with the show coming out, but I hope I also did have a birthday a couple days ago
1: i did thank you it was a lot of fun i um normally i get birthday ramen but when we got to the ramen place the wait was like over an hour so i got birthday sushi and my cannoli because i like i like my birthday cannoli i like my birthday cannoli
2: I wish it would make it through the mail. It would never make it through the mail without some sort of intense dry ice setup, and even then, would probably ruin it. But there's a place down the street that makes cannoli donuts that are uh,
1: oh. unbelievable. Oh, uh, yeah.
2: Unbelievable.
1: I love cannolis so, but yeah, thank you. It was a really nice day. It was really chill because I um, got to record the first session of my announcement. I'm going to talk about in just a second. Ooh. But before I get to that, because we had guests on last week, I didn't get to yep. tell you guys about the end of my shrimp saga. So if you're unfamiliar with this, for some reason, if you've missed like the last few weeks um, for three weeks in August, I was cat sitting and my friends also owned shrimp. And before they left, they told me that out of everything, the shrimp would probably die before they would get back to the country. And I was like, why would you do this to me? So I was on shrimp watch for like three weeks. And I would count those fuckers and I would make sure they were all in there. And I would top shrimp off their counter.
2: Little,
1: I would top off their little waters and like I stressed more about those shrimp than I did the four cats because I did not want a single shrimp to die. So after I had recorded with you guys, um, I had like four days left. And I was there for four days, and I was doing all my shrimp duties, and on the very last night, I noticed one of the shrimp at the front of the tank was not moving, and it was very pale, where all the other shrimp were, like, a big bright pink-red color. This one was almost white, just sitting, like, laying there at the front of the tank. And I was like, come on, man, it's the last night, really come on man and I'm like tapping at the glass I was like wake up little dude wake up and it was like pushing midnight and I'd been cleaning all day and I was like all right shrimp I don't want to fish you out and flush you away tonight I will come get you in the morning if you're still there so I wake up the next morning right guys and I go and I have my coffee and I'm getting ready to fish out a possibly dead shrimp and I go over and I don't see it anymore The shrimp is not there anymore. And I was just like, oh, okay. Well, I'm just going to pretend she was sleeping. She was sleeping. And the reason why she was white was because she didn't put on her shrimp makeup today. And he just wanted to go off and do take a shrimp nap. And that's all he did. And... Uh to my knowledge it's still alive because I have not heard anything different from my friends so I'm taking it as a win that I did not They lose were, they were like
3: worship. hey hope
2: what happened to Admiral Akbar
1: and that I would tell them that he was there last time I saw him and as far as I know They all were fine when I left, so you should ask the cats what happened to Admiral Akbar. because by by my standards, all the shrimp were fine.
2: He went to to act in the Disney sequels and we haven't seen him since.
1: That's right. So that is the end of the shrimp saga. If anybody asks, I got out with all my shrimp intact. The end. There's the end (laughs) of the month-long shrimp saga.
2: That's your story, and you're sticking with it.
1: I am, but I'm also about to start a new saga. Did you see my segue there? Not bad. It was a good segue. I liked it. Um, So I've been teasing this for weeks um, in our last few episodes where I'm just like, I have a cool new project coming up. And as of this week, as of two weeks ago, by the time this episode comes out, we have recorded our first episode, and I can officially tell you guys all about it. We, being me, Charles from Gold Squadron Gaze, who is a listener of ours, Chris from Dorkside Divas, Jess from Rupalp's Pod Race, and then, as well as our friends Nathan and Colton, have all come together to do a Star Wars 5E tabletop podcast. If you don't know what Star Wars 5E is, it's essentially Dungeons and Dragons, but with Star Wars. And... I have a character named Gauz. She is a Gazo because we know that I love Resistance. And she is an ex-retail worker who is tired with her life and wanted new adventures. But she has a little bit of a past. And that should come out soon at some point. And yeah, and I'm super excited. We recorded... Um, we're, we're going to be roughly weekly cause we are going to be recording one big session and then split it up into weekly episodes. So it'll be roughly weekly. Um, and the name of our show is for light and dice. So go look up for light and dice at a podcast near you. Oh, and it's that in the High Republic era. There's the other thing. I was like, all right, I forgot I'm, something else. It's set in the higher Republic. I'm, I'm era. so
2: ashamed. I, I just got Rupalp.
1: <laughs> Rupalp's pod race.
2: Just got just got RuPaul though. I'm I'm guessing it's a take on RuPaul and Palpatine.
1: Yep, yep, which, yep. As well, yep. and of uh, Ru- Ru- Drag Race, but RuPaul's Pod Race.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So there's oh my like, God, I didn't get that
2: part either. There's so many
1: layers <laughs> in that name. It is. I
2: did. I did. Yeah. I did not. It just it took me a, till now to truly appreciate that. That it name.
1: is a spot on podcast name. They have the, the I, like I saw that I was like, that's the best podcast name I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. Um,
2: I, I just wanna see, I just wanna see some fan art of RuPalp.
1: <laughs> but yeah, that's my cool new thing that I've been teasing is I'm about to do a podcast with a bunch of like like awesome queer nerds. Our entire cast is queer um because that wasn't really important to us and we are starting this journey and chris do you want to hear our opening crawl
2: crawl it out
1: make sure you give me some cool music you ready like the opening crawl. okay music.
2: i'll give you some crawl music
1: uh chris actually made a video with the crawl and the music and it was stunning so <laughs> um here is the and i but i will not do this every week this is only just for now just so you know what you're getting into for this new project of mine so here is the opening crawl of the first adventure episode of for light and dice public expansion to the wild outer rim in a region where criminal organizations thrive shadow syndicates reign and crime lords feud across the galaxy the republic stands determined to bring justice and light the furthest reaches of the frontiers in the galaxy. Meanwhile, a a diverse group of individuals band together to survive and thrive in the chaotic cosmos. Banding together for the first time, they purchase a ship called the Phantasmal Squonk, which was available in a junkyard. The Old Republic freighter has seen better days, but the new owners don't fully know its origin the crew of the ph- Phantasmal Squonks set out on a mission for their first job, leading them to the core world of Coruscant. Dot, dot, dot.
2: Yeah, I was going to give you just re- old-school Star Wars crawl music, but I wanted to put in some Clone Wars crawl music. Ah, so, so thanks, man. A, a, a narrator feel to it.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, actually, Nathan's the one doing our, our crawl for our our episode, so... Gonna be fun, but yeah, that's my cool thing. So, guys, check out for light and dice. Um, in a podcatcher, should be in a podcatcher by now, by the time this episode comes out. But just in case it's not in a podcatcher by now, it's about to come out because we are launching it this week, under my understanding. So, and yeah, you get to hear me and Charles and Chris and Jess and Nathan and Colton go on an adventure. Yay. Anyway, speaking of adventures, you ready for Mando? I am. What did you think about this episode?
2: Um, I love it. It's my favorite episode of The Mandalorian period so far. There's only one more episode to uh to watch to to definitively say that this is my favorite Mandalorian so far, but I know that I like this episode better than the next episode even. And I like the next episode.
1: Ask me but what I I think- love this episode. What, what do I you think,
2: think of this episode?
1: I love it. It's my favorite episode of The Mandalorian so far. I love everything about it, period. <laughs> everything Excellent. you just said. <laughs> this is my favorite episode. You could Canada. have just
2: did it. You could have just said ditto, I guess, but you know. But yeah, yeah. Hoping I love this episode.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I just I, wallowed.
2: I just wallowed in it when I was watching it today. I was I was wall I was wallowing in it and going <clears throat> oh the like, I, I, I remember this episode as mostly the the one scene that I just adore in it. And the rest of it just being just sort of stuff that went on around that scene. But watching it again, I really like the rest of the episode, too. So
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just like, all
2: around a great episode.
1: This episode um, has my favorite thing of Star Wars, which is morally gray areas of Star Wars and I'm going to talk so much about it but yeah like normally when I watch when I um do these outlines just so viewers know it takes me about two-ish hours because you know I have to type up all the background stuff and my own notes and also like watch the episode um so it usually takes me about two hours I did it in about an hour because it just flew by and I just wanted to watch it so much and it was so great and Um, yeah, like it just, it just went by in a flash and I was like, I love everything about this too fast. And I like rewatched some scenes. So yeah, so good. Well, you ready? I'm ready. Chapter 15, The Believer is the 15th episode of The Mandalorian. It aired on December 11th, 2020, and it was written and directed by Rick Famuyiwa. Some extra information for you. Mayfield's old commanding officer, Valen Hess, is portrayed by Richard Blake. Oh, uh, sorry, Richard Brake. Brake's other works include Hannibal, Batman Begins, and he was the Night King in Game of Thrones. When filming the conversation between Hess, uh, Den, and Mayfield, Famayua Fama wanted to present a more quiet scene to contrast the frequent action typically shown in Star Wars, and also present a tense exchange between people with competing agendas who are trying to figure each other out. The director's ultimate goal for the episode was to separate a moral gray was to present a moral gray area in use and uh going to reduce this entire sentence. The director's ultimate goal for the episode was to present a moral gray area in the use and transfer of power. And finally, one of the things that the men discuss is how Matheo was a victim of Operation Sender. Cinder has been primarily a major plot point in books, comics, and the video game Battlefront 2, but it hasn't really been talked about much on screen, so I wanted to give a super brief summary of what exactly Operation Cinder is. So, Papa Palpatine was just like, If I die and can't have the galaxy, then no one can have the galaxy. Like, that's the basic summary of this. Operation Cinder was his two-part contingency plan in case he died unexpectedly. One part was his resurrection on Exegol, the select group of Imperials that were loyal to him. The other part was the destruction of his enemies and those Imperials deemed not worthy enough. It focused on the absolute destruction of planets, and it didn't matter if civilians, rebels, or Imperials were on them. They were all going to die. For example... When Operation Cinder went off on Naboo, climate-disrupting satellites booted up and began to make massive superstorms that rained destruction across the countryside. When the satellites were only at 20%, three Category 5 hurricanes were already formed, raining electrical storms down on people within hours, causing flooding, fires, and mass death. The rebels were able to rally together to shoot down the satellites and save Naboo. But... Cinder was across the entire galaxy, and multiple planets were attacked and decimated, causing millions to die. One planet had its tectonic crust shattered by Operation Cinder. These attacks went on for months after the Battle of Endor, before it it came to an end at the Battle of Jakku with an attack from the Rebels, as well as Imperial Grand Admiral Ray Sloan, killing Palpatine's handpicked successor, Galius Rax. Sloane undermined Cinder and took command of the Imperial remnants for herself to lead them into the Unknown Regions for the other part of Palpatine's contingency plan to rebuild and start the First Order. Many Imperials many uh, Imperials were caught up in Operation Cinder. After the destruction of Alderaan, already a lot of Imperials defected, but Operation Cinder was the next step too far for those who were left as they realized they were killing their own men. People like Erica Quell from from the Alphabet Squadron books is an example of someone who left after Cinder. After this mass defection by the Imperials who were either left or killed off, the only Imperials left were the absolute fanatical Imperials we see in the sequel trilogy, The Mandalorian, who became the First Order. That is the briefest of briefest summaries of what Operation Cinder is. It is a lot. There's a lot of details, So if you want to learn more, look it up on Wikipedia. but that is the very basic, stripped down what Operation Cinder is.
3: Yoda had his own contingency plan for if things went south.
1: Oh really? What is it, Yoda?
3: Operation Cinderblock. Yoda would use the Force to drop cinder blocks on his enemies.
0: Oh, oh. Simple
3: plan. The Force favors simple plans.
1: That's true. It sounds like Palpatine overthought this because he still lost.
3: Mm, too much thinky thinky. Some some say too much drinky drinky too. Mm.
1: You know, there's also the whole cinder blocks around people's feet thing. That's a way mm, to. That's been yes,
3: tendency. yes. Oh, are we talking about Grogu again?
1: No, actually, that's a very good point because I have a question for you, Yoda.
3: Oh, oh,
1: yeah, and and it's a two-parter. It's a two-part question, but it's
3: a uh, two-part question for Yoda. Okay.
1: Yes. Um. So a big theme of this episode of Mando, The Believer, is the idea that people can change. Do you think that people can change for the for the better? And in that context, do you think you'll ever like Grogu?
3: Grogu, not people. Oh.
1: <gasps> Yoda,
0: He is a person!
3: Grogu is... Yoda cannot say what Grogu is, because then Yoda would be saying what Yoda is too.
1: So, Yoda's not people either. You're not a people? No. Are you a sentient?
3: Yes.
1: That makes you a people. I I think you're just avoiding the question.
3: avoiding the question, avoiding the question! Okay, then
1: then better question, what atonement does Grogu need to do for you to think, to change? Oh, much
3: atonement, much atonement, Mm. hmm, must go into a sun and and talk to the sun god, yes, that would (laughs) atone, very good, yes, hmm. Or under a lake, yes. Yeah, so, or a underwater stream like Mandalorians, maybe.
1: But so, so he needs like a little scooper gear? Little scuba gear? No. Yoda, he's a babe.
3: No. Just Cinder Block. That will get you deep enough. Oh god, get out of here, you old man! Operation Cinder forever! Oh
1: my god. Jeez. Here, I thought we could have an actual conversation with him. You know, yeah. that that's on me.
2: That is on you.
1: That's absolutely on me. I, just I, def-
2: I knew you weren't going to get anything of any, uh, any substance from him for sure.
1: Honestly, I still don't think that he knows that Grogu's the one that took like a bunch of his little dirty magazines. I was kind of seeing if he knew about that.
2: I'm surprised he hasn't noticed or said anything. Well, nobody ever wants to say something like, Hey, my dirty magazines are missing. Has anybody seen my, you know, pounds per square flinch magazines?
1: Well, Grogu was just recycling because he thought it would be good to recycle because he's all about that. <laughs> <Right. one. laughs> hey, that
2: that's that. what I told that's what I told my parents too.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, all about- a
2: cy- I'm, a, I'm a recycler. Come on. I'm a I'm a recycler. Come on.
1: He's—he just wants. He's uh, very concerned mom. about global warming. Uh, uh, mom! I was just taking those hustlers down to the recycling plant. Yeah, he's a baby. Yeah. But now, when he becomes 50 a teenager,
2: fifty-year-old baby with porno, yeah. you tell me what that is? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
1: <laughs> so I just had a—I'm sorry. I just had a thought. Um. That could be a really funny question, but at the same time, I have a shit ton of notes for this episode. So if we can mm. do this quickly, the talking about this made me realize I just remembered the first time I ever saw a porno magazine, and I wanted to pose what was the first time you ever saw, do you remember the first time you ever saw a porno magazine?
2: Yes, I do. i I, I actually do very well. I can't I couldn't tell you what was in it. I can I can't remember any of the content of it, but I remember. It was. Uh, it was here. It was actually, when I when, when before I lived here, my cousins lived in the, in Rochester, and we'd come to visit our vi- cousins, and we were playing hide and seek, and we were under one of the neighborhood kids' front porches hiding, and we found uh, like a digest-sized porno magazine in there, and we're like, oh, what's that? What's this? <laughs> That's all I remember.
1: So I remember I was a kid. I know I was in elementary school, probably like third-ish grade. And the church we went to at the time um, had this, like, wooded area. And they had, like, oh, cleared Oh,
2: okay. A- I was going to say, you found it at the church. And I'm like, it has to be in the woods behind the church. Yes. <laughs> Classic.
1: But, um, so, like, there's this wooded path. Like, they cleared a path so we could, like, go back to, like, this, like, area where they had, like, a campfire and like benches and stuff so we could like worship in the woods and be closer to God or whatever. Right. Um, and say um, good to me for some reason, um, I guess like maybe like my mom or my dad were there for something. And so it was just me and my cousin, cause it was not a normal church day. Like we were just at the church. Um, and so my older male cousin was watching me and so we just decided to go walking through the woods you know, like, so we went off the path and we were walking towards the r- woods and, like, there was a road that ran along the woods. And so, like, we knew if we walked towards the, the road, we'd be able to c- get back to the church so we wouldn't get lost. So we were walking through the woods and we came across them and I was just like, what are these? And my older cousin, who was a, at least a tween, maybe a full teenager, was like, oh, I we should take these back but let me put them in my backpack and that i never saw them again
3: of
2: course yes
1: <laughs> <laughs> but that i remember a cl- classic sticky
2: move i must dispose of these mm-hmm. yes and
1: that's yeah. why it, like, oh man that's why the i whole was just listening to was-
2: a, a podcast where they were talking about like how that was just like we were the last generation that was good experience finding this porn stash in the woods you know that that because it's all digital nowadays, you know, and They, I think it was, they were talking about somebody who got arrested for like child pornography because he had like, you know, he had all these pictures that he'd printed out from the, and, and they're like, why would you do that? <laughs> why does it, why does anybody do that anymore? You know, when they, they have the internet, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they, then they had it went into a discussion of and it turned out everybody like yeah 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 finding yeah, but, a pile of ro- finding a pile of rocks in the woods and just like all the neighborhood kids are like okay we keep it here
1: <laughs> yeah i mean one of the most surreal days at the comic book store is like we bought someone's collection that they had gotten from like their father that had like passed away and stuff like that and they just want to get rid of it and so we were going through it, and we found a bunch of old Playboys. And I shouldn't say, like, they're, like, super old. They were at least, like, late 80s, early 90s-ish. But, like, we know that, like, but there was also a couple ones that looked older. And so, we, and we know that old Playboys, like, can sell. But at the same time, we're, like, we're in the middle of the fucking Mall of Georgia... How are we going to look at these? And so I'm like trying to grade pornography and playboys on the computer behind the ca- the like the thing behind the cash register, but they're under the desk, so like the children that walk in can't see. It. <laughs> and it was
2: and so the, it's weird. the and and they're playboys too. They're the lightest of light pornography you're ever going to see too. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm just they're I'm one like, step away from like you know um oh what the hell was that that. Like, Guys Magazine, um, not GQ, but yeah, they're actually, they're just one step away from GQ, but there was one that was sort of, like, halfway between GQ and Playboy, and I can't remember the name of it.
1: But I just remember, like, my boss was, I was just, like, I I went to go talk to my boss, and, and like, I was like, come on, like, we we can't just grade these here, and he looks me down the eye and says, I cannot bring these home with my wife. (laughs) And I was like, okay, we will grade them here, but... I'm doing them in the back room. he's like, that's agreeable. (laughs) And I was like, okay, call me if we get busy. Let me go grade some Playboys. (laughs) And then I looked at them. Anyway, ready for act one? I am. (laughs) Oh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. And I looked
2: at them Playboys.
1: I did. I did. They were quite titillating.
2: Anyway. (laughs) And if you're not careful, if you look too deep into the Playboy, it'll look back at you. Oh, wait. no, oh, that's the void. Sorry.
1: Actually, right. the, the cool thing was um, there were also just, like, little pamphlets of just um, various, like, pictures of girls that you could buy. And they, like, weren't part of the Playboys. They were just pamphlets that apparently this guy got. And we were just like, I wonder if these are worth money. But they were, like, really cool. Like, I remember, like, when my coworker, we were looking at them just being like, so we could just call this number and pay $10 and get 20 pictures of this girl? Really?
2: the old days of pornography were bizarre people like you know there yeah i mean i shouldn't be i shouldn't be surprised that there's people who are weird about pornography or like really like you know will go like because i mean it's like anything else there there's just people who have their pornography i think is like a comic nerds you know they have like really like super taste they like i have to get every every bit of this kind of porn that i can you know and 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 it and it has a different they they probably you know they organize it into a collection but it's also in the back of a secret panel in the closet and stuff like that so
3: yeah
1: i hope you guys have enjoyed this riveting discussion about pornography now we will start i know the wrong
2: podcast
1: i know i'm sorry i'm, I'm sorry just trying to
2: keep trying to get on to eat it and beat it
1: one day one day anyway act one
2: act one let's do it
1: so quick little recap of last week of why we're here um den took grogu to jedi planet and smashed his child down on force rock and child was just like i'm gonna call it jedi now and during all this boba fett and fennec shan showed up and they're dating and she's like look at my hot mandalorian boyfriend and he's like oh thanks babe I don't, uh, me being Mandalorian is questionable. But I'm Boba Fett and this is my girlfriend Finnick Shand. And then they fought a lot. And then the Empire showed up and Den was like, My child! Because all the dark troopers came down and took Grogu. And Den was like, No, my baby! But because he gave his arm- uh, Boba Fett back his armor from Cobb Vanth, Boba Fett's like, I owe you a debt now. I will help you get your child back. Also, sorry your ship blew up because the Razor Crest is now gone. And Den's like, so I don't have a home or a child. Okay, well, I guess there's only one person that can fix this situation. Migs Mayfield! From that one episode that everyone really hated in season one, but was actually a really good episode in hindsight, and it was really good, and everybody was wrong because I really love that episode. Anyway, on to this week. So, we open on a scrapper planet, where Mayfeld is hating his life and all the Jedi, Star Wars, Fallen Order people were very sad that it wasn't Bracca but that's fine and Mayfeld is doing his job and it sucks and he's serving his sentence because he helped kill Matt Lanter last season and Cardoon shows up and Cara's like, sup? You're coming with me. And Mayfield's like, ah, I learned some questionable things about you. Do I really want to come with you? And she's like, yeah, you do. Let's go. And he's just like, okay, well, it's better than working here in the scrapper yard. And Mayfield follows him, uh, follows her all the way up to, <laughs> I misgendered her. <laughs> I'm only laughing because she'd be like, brr, brr, Anyway, we're not talking about the actress today. Anyway, um, Mayfield follows Kara out into the woods, and there is the fire spray. And it opens up, and Finnick and Shand, Finnick, Finnick and Shand, Finnick, Shand, and Boba Fett come out, and they're holding hands, and they're looking cute, and Mayfield's like, aw, what a sweet couple with guns. Hi, you know, you look like that other guy, and Den's like, me? And he's like, oh, fuck. Hi, Mando. And he's like, hi, Mayfield. What's going on? And he's like, you know, serving time because you captured me and locked me up and stuff. So, yeah, it's, it sucks. How are you? He's like, yeah, they stole my baby. Can you help me get him back? And Mayfield's like, I don't know. What's, what's in it for me? And he's like, you'll see. And Mayfield's like, cool. Well, it's better than the mud. So, yeah, I'll come with you. And they all, they recruit him to the team. So, they get there, and they're flying. they don't get there, they get on the fire spray, and they're flying. And they're like, alright, Mayfeld, the reason we need you is because you're Imperial. And he's like, sort of, that's debatable. Why? And they're like, cause Moff Gideon has my baby. And he's like, oh, Moff Gideon, fuck all y'all! Take me back, I'm not doing that shit! And they're like, but he has my child! and it's like fine I'll do it for the cash cow because Disney's making me. The best way to find Moth Gideon is get to a secret super super secret imperial mining hub because they have like this like box that you can plug into and look up where his ship is and it's off on Morak. and they're like cool so they start heading off to Morag and they decide when they get to Morak that sneaking in is the best option because it's apparently really hard to get to and they can't just like land nearby. So they make a plan to steal a transport, and then they drive in. But when they get there, they're looking at all the transports, and Mayfield's like, I'm not going in there alone. Anyone's coming with me that won't be recognized by Imperials? And the best line to me is Bilba Fett's just like, I think they'll recognize my face. (laughs) That's the best, like, subtle, low-key Star Wars joke. I love that joke. Thank you very much. But essentially... Everybody on the team would be recognized by the Imperials except for Din. So Din realizes that he can go because he can still wear a trooper helmet and not technically break his creed because he can still have his face not be seen. So they're, like, cool. And then the plan starts. And then they run in. And they get a transport. And then Mayfield bitches because he have to, like, put on clothes. And it, they smell. And then Din comes out wearing other trooper clothes. And it's awkward because Pedro Pascal looks awkward wearing something that's not the Mando. And he, you can tell he's really, really uncomfortable. And Mayfield makes fun of them. Anyway, long story short, Din and Mayfield, Get a trooper transport, and they're in disguises, and they hop off, and they mosey on their merry way towards the base. What'd you think about Act 1? This has my least amount of notes.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: It's, it's a very fast 10 minutes, though. There's a lot of shit in the 10 minutes. It, but it's also not a lot of shit. It's weird.
2: I, I, I like it. Um, one, I like it, for one... Here's another of how dense I am not getting stuff is when he was like, I think a lot of people would recognize my face. I was thinking just because he was generally Boba fat, But then I was like, I just realized no, no, duh, he's a clone. So, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, I could, just a good-
2: couldn't go walking around with his clone head hanging out there. You know, it's it's uh, even though even though he's scarred up and stuff enough to but he still looks like. Yeah. So I I didn't get that till just now. That's how thick I am.
1: That, that line is actually a really good example about so much of this episode every line of dialogue has something yeah and it is a very every line of dialogue carries weight there, and is doing something and it, it's very it, good tight writing
2: the first the 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 first two-thirds of this are action so you don't need a lot of dialogue you don't need you know uh, just at the big very beginning you needed a little bit of like you know, Oh, we'll go get Mayfield. But, you know, we, you know, we have to, we have to show, you know, how we got him and stuff like that. But even that was still just a fun scene because just Bill Burr's just general distrust acting is, is fantastic.
1: I love. (laughs) He's basically playing
2: Bill Burr. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is they, they did the smart thing. He's not an experienced actor, I think he could be I think he could end up being a fan like
1: he's like, the best actor of this episode.
2: Right. Right. But they, that's because he's used to play in Bill Burr. He does a pod. I mean, this is the Bill Burr I know from a podcast. He is he is his personality. He has the, the I, I I I don't know this for a fact, but I highly suspect that he like interjected a few, you know, when he's, when he's like, ah, oh, the suit stinks, this guy's all sweaty, and he's like, ah, oh, the gloves are still wet. Yeah. The, the gloves being wet is totally a comedy that is, like, right in Bill Burr's comedy, like, mind pocket, you know? I can totally hear Bill, Mer- Bill Burr doing that scene and saying that, and they're like, oh, we're keeping that, you know? Um, but that's the smartest thing, have him play himself, you know? And... Uh, in in Star Wars, and it takes on a meta level, too, because he's always been like, I don't get why people like this Star Wars, you know. I've never been interested in it, and now he's in it, you know. So, but he's also always wanted to do acting, so he's like, so he's he's done pretty good acting-wise. He's gotten parts in Breaking Bad and, and Star Wars, so he's he's starting off, he's got a good agent. I'll just say that. Um, what other, what other notes? Oh, I, I love, love, love. Oh, um, just starting from the beginning. At the, at the very beginning, it reminded me of the beginning of the Jedi, except just like the, the reverse mirror version of it, where when they land on the planet, even though it was a wrecked planet, it's like trees and and stuff. And in the distance are these giant creatures doing their thing. And this one was all just like junkyard. And in the distance were like mechanical creatures that looked a lot like those other creatures just sort of doing the same thing. You know, they had sort of like their feelers up in the air and
1: yeah, yeah. I realized I was muted. (laughs) I I have that note too, because they're so cool.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it totally mirrors the, I love like little, like, you know, consistent things going from episode to episode, little visual things that are, that tie it together. And uh I love seeing the ro- rotating cockpit in the slave one just when they're you know when they're taking off and the and it's keep it you know it's like which is which is funny because most spaceships you just have to have a roller coaster ride. This one at least has a little gyroscope, so you're always you know sort of even you know mm-hmm. when the ship is flying and that's really neat. Um, I,
1: I can't remember, and someone please answer this in the comments um. Is, I, I is this the first time we've seen the inside of the slave one? In I I uh, not that's not, in, that's not in the episode
2: cockpit, two, we, we, we had that's not
1: the cockpit. Like the actual like like that's not the cockpit because I know in episode two we see like Jango and Boba, but like that rotating place where you sort of
2: see them. it in episode two. There's a scene where Jango and Obi Wan are fighting, and then you see, um, Boba get in. And he sort of climbs into the cockpit and it starts rotating. And you see, I think, ah. I believe you see half of it, the road, like it starts to rotate from a shot on the inside. And then you see them fighting it in the background. You can see him rotating up into the like, you know, ready to take off
1: ah, cool. position.
2: So they, they, they've showed it before. 'Cause that's how I remember seeing it. Cause you didn't see it in Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Giant Je- or Yeah, it was only, yeah, the ship was only in Empire Strikes Back. But um yeah, so that's where I think and you know what? No, you know what? You never saw yeah, they you never saw it in the movies, but the toys had it in it. So that's also probably why I associated it with that. So episode two is probably a nod to the toys, and this is a <laughs> A uh, nod to episode two, um, but going to another, a different nod. Boy, they uh, did—they used their Mad Max Fury Road tricks on this for all the scenes where people are where, like, all, all through the whole thing where they're driving. But in this one, the 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 especially big trick was when they climbed down onto it they climbed on they climbed down onto an if if i don't think i don't think it was moving i think it was sitting still or moving really slowly and they just used the motion of the camera and the the way that the the sort of curve that the camera f- followed as they came down and the the motion of their movement to make it feel like they were coming down on a moving thing because yeah, it's, it's a George Miller trick. And, and I saw it and I was like, Ooh, and then later on when we get into a full fight on top, you know, they were doing a lot of, now they could do a lot of CGI stuff too, but there was also a lot of stuff where you can film somebody where you can film somebody on a stationary object and make it look very much like it's moving, even when you're getting the background in it and stuff, just by the way you move the camera and, uh, And, and, you know, or you can be moving very slowly and make it appear that you're moving very quickly by like your depth of field and stuff. So they were doing a lot of that. And that was, that's really awesome. It it puts a lot of life into those scenes. And the only other note I had is it's great. When, when you hear Boba Fett's voice over the radio, it's just a total Clone Wars flashback to me of hearing clone voices over the, over the radio, you know. Even though it's, you know, it is the original actor of the clones, but it's still, it still sounds like, um, um, D Bradley, Baker? Name, D Bradley Baker, you know, coming through the radio. It's just, it's just great to hear a clone being like, all right, well, we're in position, you know, <laughs> coming through a radio. I yeah. Yeah. But that's all, that's all I have for part one.
1: Um, the only other note that I have, um. This, this might be the, like, the one part of the episode that I'm just sort of okay on, um, but I like and dislike it at the exact same time, um, and that is the editing of the first act. Um, it's a lot of really fast setups, so a lot of the cuts are just like boom, 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 like we're here, we're on the ship, we're on the planet, we're doing this, and it's super quick which is a little bit jarring compared to act two and three, which has a lot of longer shots and like you're living in these scenes and they're having conversations. So act one compared to the other two acts is a little bit jarring, but I also don't mind it as much because they get all the setup out of the way really fast to really let you settle in the good stuff in act two and three. Um, So I guess what I, I felt like on one hand, it's a little jarring, but I also appreciate they get through the plot fast. To get to the good stuff. So I'm kind of mixed on it. But that, that's the only part that I'm a little bit like, like, we're here, we're here, we're here. And now we're going to settle into act two and three. <laughs> like, it, it's just a little bit weird. But I still love it. But still, yeah. But that's all I have
2: yeah i'm re- i'm ready for act two
1: yeah now we're getting to all of i'm stuff. just
2: dying to get to act three that's my that's like i'm where dying to, I, yeah. the meat and potatoes is sitting just steaming and all oh, the meat and potatoes smell good tonight
1: they're gonna be so good oh my god but i also like a lot of the act two sets up a lot of my act three so here we go act yeah. two so mayfield and dan are driving along and they're like all right this is fine this is fine there's a there's a little thing here on the dashboard that tells us that we are driving very explosive fuel. And if we get too bumpy or too fast, the very explosive fuel in the back will go boom. So, uh, let's not run into any trouble. And Den is like, okay. But then, as they're driving along, Mayfield is like, so what's the whole helmet thing? Like, what, what's up with that? You know, you just can't take it off ever? Like, how do you brush your teeth? And like, like, I'm not answering this question. But, you know, their smooth drive ends fast because they start seeing other transports blown up. And they're just like, huh, that's foreboding. And they drive through a little village and it's full of locals. And the locals are looking at them like, get the fuck out. And it's pretty run down and Mayfield's like, do you see all these people? Yeah, some New Republic, am I right? And then's like, I have no feelings about the New Republic. And Mayfield's like, see, it doesn't matter if it's New Republic or if it's the Empire, nobody is here to help them because all they see is us as invaders, regardless of what government it is. We are invading their planet. And Mayfield looks at Mando and he's like, it's kind of like you Mandalorians. Am I right? And Den's like, okay, I'm interested. What do you mean by that? And Mayfield's like, you know, because the Mandos are telling you that you have to live a certain way and wear a helmet a certain way and you don't have a choice because look at your code, dude. You know, you whip out that code all the time, but what happens if the situation changes? There's always a line. And when you have to cross that line, what are you going to do about your code then? Are you gonna actually have your freedom? Or are you gonna stay within the little order of your code? And Den's like, "Huh. I don't like this conversation anymore. Uh, let's see what's on the radio." And they turn on the radio, and the comm is just like the the two transports in front of them, and the transports are just like, "Oh, guys, Imperial people were being attacked, and ah!" And they're like, oh, that's not good. And then the transport explodes! Not not their transport, I should clarify. The transport in front of them, like, way down the street explodes. And they're all like, oh, fuck! And then another transport explodes. And they're all like, "Ah, oh, fuck! And it's all really bad. And Mayfield's like, maybe the pirates are not wanting... Or maybe the pirates got all their pirating out of them. And they're not gonna come for us. And then like, yeah, I don't think that's... We're that lucky because... There they are, and out of nowhere comes some pirates, and they're all like, we're here to get you and blow up your transport, and Mayfield's like, ah, do something, and then crawls out up on top of the the transport, and he's like, I'm gonna fight them, and I just have to note, Dan Jarin, our lovely himbo, does a very himbo thing, where he shoots two pirates, and then his gun runs out of blaster, uh, out of blaster bolts, and so with he throws his empty blaster at one of the guys, because of course he does. That has never worked in any show ever. Throwing your gun at a person. And then I love you so much. And everything's tense because it's all like pew pew pew. And and they're fighting, and Den's like, oh wait, I'm out of pew- pew. they threw my gun. Never mind, no more pew-pew But Den's fighting the guys, and then like Mayfield's driving and having a really good time running over people, actually. Um, but it's really tense, because their very explosive fuel in the back is going to, like, explode if they go too fast. And one by one, Din takes out the pirates, but more are coming. So he fights off the next wave, and it's getting, like, really tense and stuff some more. And and they turn the corner, and they can see the Imperial Refinery off in the the distance. And they're like, thank God, because this fight is getting really insane. But more pirates are arriving. And then, bless him, when he sees more pirates coming, he lets out the most relatable sigh as he like stands back up again and groans like, and gets back on his feet because the fight is about to go to round three. And then their savior comes for them. But it's not just, it's not their allies, it's not Boba, it's not Finnick. TIE Fighters. TIE fighters show up and blow up the pirates and stormtroopers flood out of the refinery as our heroes back up and these stormtroopers you know start murdering the locals to save Din and Mayfeld and Din and Mayfeld just sit back in their seats and they kind of look at each other and Mayfeld's like yay empire I guess and Din's like just park the car and they get to the refinery and they're treated like heroes what do you think of Act 2?
2: I really like this act. Oh, yeah. It's not the next act, but it's...
1: It's a nice step up into the next act.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's for one, it's got the, the Mad Max Fury Road battle sequence in it. Um, Mayfield's whole dialogue in this basically sounds like a J-Guys and Jedi episode. So now you know why we like Mayfield so much.
1: Sorry, I was you blowing know, my nose while I was muted. Can you say that again?
2: I said basically all of Mayfield's like monologue when they're driving in here, you know, talking to the Mandalorian sounds like a Jay Guys and Jedi episode.
1: Oh, oh, so So, that's why we so like much. It. So much. I have big notes he's about just all of that. He's saying that
2: he's just he's he's and he's a podcaster too. So he's just podcasting on on <laughs> on the on the himbo. I'm drop some <laughs> hey, podcasting Din, you hear on my you. Hey, new show man.
1: called The Mandalorian. So, no. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. good, so,
2: so wait, wait, do you have to just not show your face or do you have to wear that helmet? Cause you're not wearing that helmet, you know? So, you know, what's, what, what is it? And he's just like, <laughs> so he's, he's, yeah, he's totally podcasted him. And, um, and, oh boy, like the, the whole the, the you know, this is this is I'm gonna you know, I, I have short notes for this because I know that you're gonna just like hope is gonna like
3: Do my hope go, to
2: the, go to the diving board and very dramatically, you Please. know, just dive into the big gray area swimming pool when we get here. But this is like this is probably the best gray area Star Wars ever, mm-hmm. like cinematically. Because you have first, you have Mayfield's, you know, conversation with the Mandalorian, which is just another step in his de-radicalization. And, um, but you know, it's just it's just a conversation. But using, you know, the art of of cinema, they make the viewer experience Mayfield's words and not just like hear them and see them cuz and they do that with the tie fighters you know i, I oh. you know a, 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 a viewer who's paying attention is going like you know hey these guys attacking them they're really like you know these guys would be the guys whose side we would be on in those star wars those
1: are the wars. locals
2: <laughs> those are the guys that we would be helping out in our star wars episode you know the 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 scrappy locals and and now we're, and now we're not rooting for him because we're with the protagonist you know and he's got but he's got a worthy thing cuz he's after baby Yoda and like you know they are all right you know and uh but like but when the tie fighters come ah uh, uh, and um there's just a uh, you know, rousing music that the musical that,
1: score that's my note. <laughs> the musical and, score, and
2: there's this rousing, it's rousing good guy music, and it's at the same time that you're feeling that though. You're when you see those TIE fighters, you're just like, Ah, yes, thank God, TIE fighters, that'll take care of that problem.
1: And then you go, and, Oh, wait, and, and, but tie you notice the
2: TIE fighters, the first few shots almost hit the transport, so there was a typical TIE fighter where they almost blew up their. The people they were trying to protect but um you know so that makes you f- and then you feel that and you're just like hey wait a minute i just got like i just was rooting for the tie fighters mm-hmm. you know i was just rooting for the nazis in in this and boom you're pulled into the gray area there you are now you're in the gray area with mayfield and mayfeld and and the mandalorian you know You've just you've just felt a little cut you uh, things just didn't just got not black and white for you, the viewer. And that is that is very rare. It's not as rare these days in the way television is done now, but it's it's more rare in just sort of mass entertainment like Star Wars, uh, but that was that was and it was just done it wasn't done with a heavy hand you know i didn't know i didn't really notice it that way till the second time watching it you know and uh i noticed it i I noticed it It was like oh oh," i just cheered for stormtroopers but then when i thought about it and then you know seeing it the second time and see and knowing what was going to happen and hearing mayfeld's you know conversation with the mandalorian it's just beautiful it's beautifully done it's it's just handled so subtly and, you know, I mean, subtly for a show like this, it's, you know, but it's it's, yeah, it it uses all its tools to communicate its point, you know, very, very, very good. And I loved just on surface um notes. I loved the whole um tension building and it, it was just a great storytelling technique of where you'd hear the, the troopers like, oh, no, blah, blah, blah. And then you would see the explosion just on the other side of the trees. And whoa, shit. And boom, another <laughs> one goes off. It was that was a just very, very good storytelling. And my only other note is I was having Ezra flashbacks when they got in because Mando is about as subtle as Ezra. He's. <laughs> he's got the body language of Ezra trying to be. He's about as successful at being sneaky as Ezra was being sneaky. It's just like every move and everything he said and did was just totally suspicious. And it was cracking me up. And then I was like, of course it is, because he's not used to sneaking and using his brain. He's used to just having Beskar out and going like, Rah! Blah, 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 you know and uh yeah that, it was great but like yeah i'd had ezra flashbacks with that that's all i got Go, dive in hope
1: Ooh, the musical score <laughs> so good um because i love that it's like so triumphant and everything uh that the music in that moment I, i've watched that scene like three times because that that scene is like why I love stuff like the Thrawn novel in Lost Stars because you're rooting for characters like Thrawn and Eli Vanto to win, and then you stop and you go, Oh, I'm Wait. rooting for the bad guys, or or someone like Cyana, Cyana Ree, because Cyana Ree in Lost Stars she is a victim of the system, and you're like, Baby girl you they used propaganda on you you're smarter than this come on baby girl get out of there follow thane and like you know and 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 that's the kind of star wars i love is this like morally gray area i'm gonna get my two shallow notes out of the way first before i get into this my shallowest of notes is it cracks me up every time when den is fighting the pirates mayfield just screams you should have left me in prison (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I love that. It makes me laugh every time. Um, And the other is the small detail. And you kind of sort of mentioned this with Den just running into things. I like the detail when he first starts fighting the pirates. One of the pirates goes to like, like the very first pirate goes to slam down his like little um, like staff on him and then throws up his arm like he normally would. And that plastic stormtrooper (laughs) armor shatters because he's so, that's such (laughs) a nice detail. Yeah, and that's such a he nice detail. Must seat have hole. a bruised arm. And, yeah.
2: uh, oh another thing I forgot to say in my notes was that scene, like when they drive through the village, every the whole village, all and everybody's looking at them like, "I hate you, Imperials." They're all humans, and then when they're attacked, it's all it's all the um, I'm guessing the natives of the planet or whatever. But I noticed that was kind of a Disney thing to do. They use the humans when they needed mm-hmm. sympathy. And if they'd had humans on those skiffs attacking, it probably would have been a little too. It would have been. It would have made the whole like gray area thing of it get even more hinkier. And they didn't want to get. They didn't want to get that gray. You know what I mean? Yeah. To where you saw Dick shooting but you know you know where you were getting the audience all worked up about shooting a bunch of humans. You know, I thought that was just a very Disney thing. You know, they went that far. But they weren't gonna humanize, you know. Do, but I mean, it sort of works in what they're trying to do emotionally with it. But I just, yeah, I wanted to yeah, note that. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's my ongoing complaint about lack of aliens in like live action and stuff like that. Like because they're essentially used as cannon fodder. And yeah, they were. I, and,
2: yeah, I mean, there were plenty of aliens in this, but they were all in skiff attacking. And when you showed sad face little kids, they were humans, you know. Yeah. They, yeah. Yeah
1: it bothers me and i
2: don't i don't know instead of putting humans on the skiff why they didn't just have sad face little alien kids because everybody knows that like little aliens are cute too just like regular human kids if if not cuter baby yoda being the the big example you know that,
1: the answer is because aliens are disposable in the star wars universe
2: yeah yeah
1: that's that's the answer um but yeah i just i thought that was a really nice moment in the fight, because Din starts fighting the way he would always fight in Beskar. And Mm -hmm. he immediately had to change how he fought. Um, And I just thought, I really thought that was a very nice detail, because he tried his Mando thing, and he was just like, ow, fuck, okay, new fighting, let's go. Okay, let's get into it. (laughs) I, my favorite thing in Star Wars is morally gray Star Wars, where it's a completely... Blurs the lines between black and white. And I will definitely get into this more in the next act. But just touching on the things that happen in this one. I love when they're driving through the village. The conversation that Mayfield is talking about. That it doesn't matter if it's the Empire or the New Republic. These everyday people are still not getting any help. They're getting left behind by both governments. And it doesn't matter which government it is. Regardless, their planet is being invaded. This is actually a very prominent theme in the High Republic, where the, the Republic is expanding into the Outer Rim, and as much as I want to throw him off a bridge, the leader, Martian Rowe, is like, hey, Martian Rowe is the leader of the bad guys. He's just like, hey, you, we're being invaded. This is our space. Like, why are they invading us? And not every planet in the Outer Rim Wants to join the republic because they feel like they're being colonized. And we're talking about good guy planets. Like some of these planets are just like, nah, we're fine. We don't want you here. We don't want your Jedi temples on our planet. You are colonizing us. We want to do things our way. And so I always thought this was like such a really interesting idea is that the Republic is seen as the good people, but to a lot of people's, they're being invaded by these governments, these big massive governments who want to like who are who have intentions of, like, we want to bring you resources and knowledge and stuff like that. One of the points of Lost Stars, um, the novel I keep referring to, is in the opening chapter, Siana and Thane are children. Their planet is dirt poor, so the Empire brings jobs and machineries, and they're like, wow, we can have money and running water. That's cool. And they join the Empire because it's either stay on this dirt poor planet or go get a job. And they'd go to the job because they want to provide for their families. (laughs) And so it's these kind of stories that I love. And as you were saying about the pirates, are they really pirates or are they locals protecting their land? Which makes it such a weird gray area that's so interesting to watch. Because Den is acting in self-defense. If these people win, Den dies. But all these people see is Din wearing imperial armor. It's not like Din can just be like, I'm undercover to save my child. Please stop fighting me. And and the locals go, Okay, that's not going to happen. uh, All they uh, see is a symbol of what Din is wearing. And they go, He's the bad guy. He's invading us. And Din's going, Oh shit. I'm fighting these people because they're trying to kill me, but they're the people that are the good guys.
2: Yep. Yep. And and saying that they're pirates just doesn't fly because pirates steal stuff. They don't blow stuff. They don't they would be after that shipment, not wanting to plant a thermal detonator on it. So they're exactly. obviously like, you know, rebelling against it. You know, they obviously, you know, I'm sure probably the mining process of it is very destructive to their planet, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, pirate, pirates wouldn't be blowing up blowing up the, the trucks. They'd be stealing the cargo or stealing the trucks or, you know, or whatever. They'd be plundering. They'd be doing what pirates do, something to make money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Blowing those up doesn't make anybody any money, you know? Exactly. So,
1: so these have to be the locals that they're killing. Right. Which is just such a... Uh, a a tense skeevy interesting situation to watch because we're rooting for the bad guys here as a viewer because these are the people trying to kill our protagonist and we end up sort of, rooting but, but like sort
2: a- of the sort of the bad well that's the thing is 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 we're rooting for people it puts us totally in the gray for rooting for them because they're, 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 they're disguised as a bad guy, so they're stuck in a situation where they have to defend themselves, but they're on a good cause. You know, they're, they're doing it for a good cause. They are, so, but they so also it's, just it's, led to
1: a group of people being absolutely massacred.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it's not morally ideal,
1: but... And, with it, that, it, and when and, that TIE fighter it, shows we're up... Dealing with, oh, sorry, go ahead. We're,
2: we're also dealing with characters that we've already built, you know you know, affection for and are invested in their, their story. So we're going to fight, you know, we're going to be interested. We want Din to, you know, we're, we're, we're on the arc of going to get baby Yoda. So yeah. And and it's, and being on that arc, they're drawing a direct line to being on the arc of life during a wartime or life in general, you know, where Mm -hmm. you got good intentions, but sometimes, (laughs) you know. You're going to get in a messy situation where you have to defend yourself and, you know, and, you know, you could, you know, that's th- this story told by, you know, the the orphan of one of the people killed on the skiff is going to be a lot different, you know, and just as valid. You yeah. Know, so
1: like my daddy went out to go try and liberate our countries and those mean people killed him. And now I don't have it's a daddy anymore.
2: Completely. That's completely how war is, you know
1: hmm Um, while well, Din would be like, and then I fought these people to save you, Grogu, and it was, you know, it was very important to me. And I got you back to your daddy. Like those are two very different stories. Um, and that's what I love about this. Um, and the the other thing I wanted to touch on was we've been talking all season about how the cameos have been changing Den, and you've kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, Mayfield is here to continue, as you said, ripping down, like, Den's walls, and what did, what Mayfield specifically goes after in this episode is, okay, no, I'll do it later. Um, so this kind of, like, set up, uh, uh, uh sorry, I, I was like, I, I thought I had a note here, but it's the next three. Um, so the thing that Mayfield is starting to go after is the idea of choice, and, he brings up the Mandalorians, and how the Mandalorians essentially tell their people what to do because it because they are a government, they are an order, and someone, somebody like Din's group, essentially told Din what to do and he's like you must live this way. What Mayfield is attacking is what happens. When you don't get to choose yourself, but you're being presented with a situation where you have to choose either the order you were raised in or going in a new direction. And he specifically says that the Mandos are no different from the Empire because they're not allowing the people under them to choose. This is coming from an ex-Imperial who was a soldier who was raised to follow orders. And now he's living his own life because of everything in Act 3 we'll get to. Um, And one thing that Mayfield specifically points out is Den's changing code, um, which does reflect on Den's changing character as well, because Den is already very different than who he was last season when Mayfield last seen him because he was very reserved and they were joking about him taking off his helmet and like Den fought off the big guy to keep his helmet on. And now in this season, Den needs to get his baby back. That is Grogu is far more important than him keeping on his helmet, so he is now wearing a different helmet. And all the situations of the past two seasons have forced him to change within his code and in turn has led him to moments like this, which we'll get into Act 3, where I will continue this note. But this whole, like, choice, this discussion that Mayfield is having about choice is the title of the episode, which I will get to in Act 3.
2: See, I think I think the Mando sort of thought like like unconsciously that bending his whole code he like he felt more comfortable getting away with it with Mayfield because Mayfield's Mayfield's kind of like a, a, a gray character and he doesn't have a lot of respect for him enough respect to know that he could use him but he doesn't have a lot of respect for him at the bit so he's like okay uh, you know it's almost like slumming it you know he's like ah. Eh, you know, this guy saw me in a stormtrooper outfit, but, you know, who's he, you know? And I think Mayfeld kind of uh, messes him up when they're in the transport by being like, oh, you know, knowing about his code and knowing about the history of the Mandalorians and, like, getting inside of his head when, May- you know, he thinks Mayfield's just like a simple thug sort of guy, you know? And, uh, yeah, I think that really kind of rattles him, you know? But I think he had that just sort of thing like, ah, I'm kind of in a bad situation and this guy ain't going to, you know, he's not even going to know what's, you know, you know, it's not going to really, he's not even going to, it's not even going to come onto his radar that I'm not wearing my helmet or anything like that, you know, Mm -hmm. which is no, no justification within his, you know, extremist religion to not take his helmet off. But like, it's, it's just beautiful because that's, Totally what Mayfeld was saying, you know, everybody bends their, you know, their moral code when things, you know, get desperate, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
2: or everybody's capable of, of doing it, you know, all that stuff can go out the window, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. But that's all I have for act two because those are the two notes that lead into all of my act three notes, which are a act page three. long. A page Let's long. Do act
2: three. Ooh!
1: I'm ready. Ooh. Oh, all right. Wrapping up the puppies. Act three. So, Mayfield and Den park their truck, right? And they get out, and all the Imperials are just like, Woo, you did it! Good job! You killed those pirates! And they're like, yeah, pirates. Okay, everyone's looking at us. What do I do, Mayfield? And Mayfield's like, just be a cool dude. We gotta go find the mess hall. Let's go this way. And they kind of like walk through the people who are like, yay, we did it. We're Nazis, I guess. Um, and so they get to the officer's mess hall and Mayfield's like, there's the terminal. And he starts to go inside and then he freezes and immediately like backs out of the room. <laughs> and Den's like, "What? what's going on? Like, why are you backing out, dude? And he's like, dude, I can't go in there. Den's like, w- w- why-, why not? He's like, you know how there's 10 quadrillion people in the Star Wars galaxy and Hope knows this number because she had to look it up for her fanfic? And Den's like, yeah? He's like, well, what are the chances out of the ten quadrillion people in the galaxy that my old commanding officer is right there eating a Lunchable? And then's like, what the fuck? What are the chances of that? And Mayfleth like, I know, right? So they look inside, and there's Valen Hess. And Valen Hess is just like, huh, in another franchise, I'm a scary horny bitch. Wink at Game of Thrones. Um... <laughs> and Dan's like, fine, fine, I'll go in there, I'll go in, just give me the data card, and Mayfield's like, dude, your code, he's like, what, I need a code, he's like, no, your fucking Mandalorian code, idiot, you have to take off your helmet, and let it scan your face, and Dan is just like,
0: huh,
1: I'm doing it anyway, it's for my son, and he takes the data disc, and he Awkwardly, Ezra Bridgers his way into the room, and Hess looks up like, what the hell is that stormtrooper doing? And, and Maith, Mayf- and, and Din just kind of awkwardly salutes him, and like, Ezra's over to the terminal. And, he gets to the terminal, and Hess is watching him. It's all very tense, and Din starts putting in the code, because, you know, he thought he could not have to do the face scanning thing, I guess. Even though Mayfield said it's a requirement, who knows? But the the terminal is like, you are not a person. I'm going to self destruct in five seconds. And Den's like, fuck, and he throws off his helmet and he looks at the thing. And the terminal is like, oh my god, Petra Pascal, <laughs> it's an honor to have you here. Yeah, like here's here's all your information. Like, what what do you need? And Den's like, uh, where? He types with two fingers like a grandpa, and he's like, where is my guidey, no, not guidey, guide, no, stop auto-correcting, Gideon, Enter. And General's like, all right, here's all the information you need to know. Come back anytime, Petro Fascal okay. And Den's like, cool. And he turns, and there's Hess, and he's just like, hi there. What's go- what you doing there, trooper? And Den's like, ah, stuff. Like, oh, what kind of stuff? He's like, important p- imperial stuff. And Mayfield flies in there very quickly, and he's just like, oh, hello. This is my superior officer. He- he's kind of deaf, so that way he doesn't speak, right? And Den just kind of nods, like, yes, I don't speak anymore. And he's like, yeah, we're just going to get on out of here. And Hess is like, I didn't dismiss you both. are you two the only ones who showed up with fuel today? That was some really fancy driving. I'm going to give you a drink. And they fell and dinner like, okay, I guess we're drinking now. Let's go to the table. And they all sit at the table. <laughs> I lost my spot where am I am. Bye. There I am. Um, and Hess is like, here's a toast. Not to us, not to the glory of the Empire, but something cool. And Mayfield's looking at him, and he's just like, what about Operation Cinder? You know, that- that thing that I was- I was in the middle of? You know, and- and you ordered to kill all your own troops, and I watched them all die? Five- five to ten thousand- thousand people's men die? Before me, all my friends and my brothers, and I had to think about their families. And, and you're up on your fancy little starship, and you thought you you just thought that was okay. And Hess was like, "Yeah, they're heroes of the Empire." And Mayfield's like, "No, they're all dead. You know, do, do you think do you think they're dead? Like their families are happy about that? You know, you, you think it's a greater good or something? Because what about all the locals, huh?" What, what about the locals on the planet who were fighting us? They were fighting the Empire, like like the locals outside. Like They were fighting us because we were colonizing them and they died, defending their home. And we all died too, and for what? For what, the greater good? And Hess is like, do we know each other? And Mayfield's like, no, we don't. And Hess is like, oh, okay, well, we're doing it because this whole refinery around us is going to sow havoc into the galaxy because the New Republic sucks and if we sow enough chaos they're going to make the New Republic look weak and people are going to have no choice but to come to the Empire once again the Empire is going to rise up and take over once again and about this time Mayfold is starting to have some like serious PTSD and he kind of smiles he's like nah you're not doing that again and he shoots Hess, and Hess falls over dead. And Mayfield's like, oh, that was good. And there's a very short, like, holy shit moment between Den and Mayfield before they, like, look around, and everyone in the room is staring at them. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, fuck. And so they pew, 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 and pew, 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 is break out across the room very quickly. And everyone in the room is suddenly dead, except for Den and Mayfield. And they're like, oh, oh, we did it. We did it. We're like the worst people at this. And and actually, in a super touching moment, Mayfield picks up Den's helmet and hands it back to him and says, "I never saw your face." Den kind of smiles at him like, "Bro, are we bros now?" Oh, let me put this on back on, just in time because more troops are running in, and Den and Mayfield's got a pew 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 out their way out the window. And just so you know, because it's very unimportant up until now. Finnick and Kara have been like running through the jungles, and every once in a while the B plot is just like, look, they're still here. off uh, for this moment. Because as Din and Mayfoot are escaping, shots rain down from sniper rifles and it's Finnick and Kara. And Finnick's like, Man, I gotta better call my boyfriend. Hey, boyfriend, you can start your run on your super flashy ship and then you can uh, like pick me up later. And Boba's like, okay, I'll totally pick you up later, babe. But I gotta get the fire spray down to the roof. So Boba starts flying in. And it's a race to the roof because the ladies are taking out the cannons. And they're taking out all the dudes. And Dan, and Dan and Mayfield are not doing anything. They are just booking it towards Boba's ship. And they jump on a Boba ship. And as it's flying away, Mayfield gets one last idea and he picks up a rifle he looks down and remember in season one he was a sniper and he takes a single shot and blows up the entire fucking base. and he's like huh i feel better now and you know what kara sees that and she kind of nods her head like huh look at that Actions speak louder than words. But oh no, TIE Fighters are coming in. So of course they have to have their fan service moment where Boba Fett's like, Hey, have you guys seen Attack of the Clones? And Den's like, no, I've never seen a Star Wars. And Bilber goes, cool, me neither. And then they high-five in the back as Boba Fett drops the little sound boom thing from Attack of the Clones and takes care of the ties. And Finn like, oh, I'm so wet. My boyfriend's awesome. And Kara's like, gross. And then we all walk off. And so later on, the ladies meet up with the boys. And they're all like, yeah, we did it. We got the info to go find Moff Gideon. And Mayfield's like, well, I guess I'm going back to the scrapyard, huh? Good luck finding your kid. And then Kara looks at Dan and goes, oh no, it sucks that Mayfield died in the explosion. And Dan is like, yes, I guess you have to report that Mayfield is dead, don't you? And Kara's like, gee whiz, it's such a tragedy. And they both look at Mayfield. And Mayfield's like, okay, I'm just going (laughs) to just kind of back away Mayfield just kind of backs out of the conversation and just smiles and like runs off into the woods like Comac Vitus that's a joke for you Charles anyway um, it's, it's all peaceful and Mayfield's free and we go finally to the bad guys and the super hot sexy comms officer walks in and she's like "Moth Gideon and he's like yes super sexy lesbian comms officer who Hope loves so much. What is it? And she's like, you have a Skype call. And they turn on Skype and it's Din. And Din is like, Gideon, do you remember that badass speech you gave in the season one finale? Well, here it is. Right back at you. Ditto. I'm coming for my baby boy, you asshole. Himbo dad is coming for your ass. The end all
2: right i love that he threw that back in his face and it's even more threatening because it's not at oh well actually no it wasn't the season for that was it the seat yeah no it was the episode before that it was i said whatever
1: it's the two part yeah yeah
2: so it just defeated what i was gonna say which but this this is a penultimate one too so it reached the. it sort of mirrored that same penultimate point
1: but it also has a different feeling because when Gideon says it, he calls Grogu an "it," and Den is very specific. Like he means more to me than you will ever right. know. Yes. And then so, like, there's a lot more emotion. So it's such a good little bookend moment of just like Gro- of, of like Gideon seeing Grogu as a means to an end and as an object, and Den's like, "That's my fucking son." <laughs> yeah. All right, you go first. Okay. Going to be here for a while.
2: Shallow, shallow notes. Uh, first imperial with a southern drawl, and I love it. Um. um I love how he passes off Din's himboness as deafness, ah. because because when he takes his helmet off, like Pedro Pascal is like is considered like sort of like you know I think like the new Antonio Banderas, maybe not as like. Action buff is as Antonio Banderas, but just sort of like, you know, handsome Latin guy who's a like sort of leading man type of actor. But in in The Mandalorian, whenever he takes his helmet off, he they they let him keep his helmet head, and he just looks like a doof. He looks like your doofy frat brother who's just like a great guy, but he's just about as bright as like a you know like a friendly Irish setter, and. And Din doesn't even have to like. I was thinking, is Din playing up the deafness? No, he's too stupid to 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 play up the deafness. But but um, there is
1: one moment when, like after like Mayfield, it's like yeah, like you have to speak louder of him because he got depressurized, and Din just kind of like looks at Hess and like raises his eyebrows, like yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, but that would be something that somebody who didn't really know, like somebody who's just sort of faking their stuff because they can't really tell what people are saying. So like it was more Mayfeld being like uh, smart and like just, OK, this 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 is almost like fool, you know, like idiot proof. I was going to say foolproof, but idiot proof is better. <laughs> An idiot proof plan because this guy can just be as himself and just sort of goggle at him blankly and it'll make sense, you know. Otherwise, he looks completely suspicious. But
1: that was absolutely allows for Jen to not talk. Jen's Like, I do not need to talk in this scenario. <laughs> yeah,
2: and it also like paints the picture of this guy also knew that these two were the guys that just like beat like beat the odds and made it back and battled their way back so that they're kind of tough. And that would make sense that, like, one of them had been through enough battles that he's got, like, some problems, you know? <laughs> the,
1: the only, like, thing that sticks out to me is Mayfield calls Den the commanding officer, and he should have been the subordinate. Because then Mayfield's the one that keeps talking. And I'm like, it should be in the opposite role where Mayfield's well, just no, like, yeah, I'm it, the commanding it, officer.
2: Maybe, but, like, then this guy's thinking these guys are still, you know, this might be his commanding officer, but this is a guy who's, like, basically his ears. So he's used to doing the talking for him, you know, he's sort of like, I don't know if you watch the TV show MASH, but he's sort of like Radar from MASH, you know, he he he's, he's, a, he's, he's the subordinate, but like the, the, his, in MASH, it's just that his, in, in the, his first like commander is like kind of ditzy. And so he's the one doing all the like, so this guy's just like, you know, he's military. So he's like, Oh, okay. This guy's just been like, this guy's loyal to his commander and he does the talk, he does the talking, you know? So this guy doesn't lose like as much, you know, respect for not knowing what the hell's going on. I just, it, 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 this, that, this, that whole segment and, uh, 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 Oh, oh, my only other short note is I like at the end where they're like, too bad Mayfeld didn't make it. There's like, like until he's until they start smiling, he's think he's still 50 50 like, okay, here's where they kill me. I know.
1: Right. That's why I love how he doesn't even really have a reaction like he he kind of stutters and then he just walks away. Because he's
2: thinking he's thinking, here's where I die. You know, here's where I either go back to. Oh, no, I'm not going back to prison. I'm not even going to live. And you know, and he could think that because he was part, you know, part of the death of a of a New Republic officer. So, you know, I just
1: love that. See, I love that acting because he's just like. So I'm not going back. I'm just gonna walk because I will.
2: He's like, so I'm free to go because I will. Okay,
1: <laughs> hey, bye. And yep. he's awkwardly just like wide eyes, just turn and just like head down, just like hey, bye. <laughs> okay, bye. I love that's my favorite exit of just like, oh, okay, bye. <laughs>
2: So, so I'm I'm not gonna go too deep into it because I know we'll I'll, I'll be able to like sort of you can dip see in. my full page of notes.
1: I'll
2: I'll, di- I'll dip in on yours because I know you're gonna talk about we're, we'll we'll cover all this when you're talking about it. But the 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 scene in this the 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 big you know little cafeteria scene with Mayfeld and and the imperial who's got a total Nazi name like Hess is like a total. You know, like Rudolf Hess was a no, one of the, notori- I think Rudolf Hess was one of the, you know, ones who ended up, you know, going to trial afterwards. But um, you got this this guy who's a combination of the bad sheriff and Nazi, and he's an, you know, an imperial all mixed into one. And it's, it's, pro- it is not probably, it is the most intense and best acted dialogue in star wars ever yeah i'm just gonna say that right now it writing wise and acting wise there's some beautiful little acting moments in scenes you know like alec guinness really like iconically but like for a scene that's building tension and is is focused on the acting and the situation and tension building there's nothing like the, the only thing that's like this in recent history is like tarantino movies Tarantino's scene would have been twice as long or three times as long and halfway through the Imperial would have figured out that this guy hates him and might kill him and they both both would have played more of a game about it but it's a 36 minute episode of the Mandalorian and it's just perfect but it's that it's that you know It's that thing that people don't have faith in anymore because I don't think they have like, you know, a lot of if you don't have a faith in your writing, directing direction and stuff like that, where you just use the simplest elements of drama, which is you have a situation, you have well drawn characters, you have you have a goal that either one or both have to get that are either in, you know, that are in conflict and you have a conversation that sets the tone and, you know, says something about what's going on. And then in the same time is realistic intention building. And this is, you know, this is a cinematic quality of that. It's, you know, this is like scenes with Robert De Niro and Samuel Jackson from Tarantino movies and, and, um, you know, like um, Coppola movies and stuff like that, where everything converges to the, the this conversation. Everything thematically that we've seen in this episode and a lot of stuff that we've seen in the series and in other series, in just general Star Wars, come into this scene and... The, you know the tension in it, and the 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 acting by Bill Burr, especially. I mean, the the guy who plays Hess is a a, a you know veteran at playing these parts, and just you know, yeah. just I mean, choose. I was it's looking... he's a Tarantino character actor choice for this role. Yeah, it's just. Per- when I was
1: looking up um, his film, like I only picked three, but like essentially it was just a list of horror movies and villains and i was like this is yeah. such a good choice
2: yep yep yeah and bill burr is and i mean this is the the, the genius of having bill burr play bill burr, bill burr is bill burr is a boston you know angry guy from boston he's hostile and he's a and but in he's a, in this scene he's in a situation where he's with somebody that they're trying to get away from and who's like hey come and have a drink you know and uh it's very it's very the beginning of uh Inglorious Bastards by Qu- Quentin Tarantino and you know I'll have you know and and uh but the the way Bill Burr portrays the conversation and you can see the hostility and the just rage building but it's subtle because he's He's,
1: and the tears, the tears that slowly well in his like I when you think about how often they have to take have takes in a scene, like how many times did he had to make his eyes start watering? Who knows?
2: I'd, maybe he did it on the first take, but that's very rare, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh and uh we don't we also don't know like it could have that could have been a combination of three three or four different takes or whatever but either way whatever what whatever happened bill burr is the the king of acting in this episode because like you like if you were the like when you think if you're the like usually in a TV show they're going to play it broad enough to where you know it's obvious that bill burr hates this guy you know and uh and uh but There's also like this thing, like in a war like this where, you know, Hess knows, yeah, these guys, you know, there's got to be a certain amount of hate for me, you know, and that that's acceptable because that's, you know, it's going to happen when 10,000 of your buddies get blown up, you know, but everybody, so everybody, everybody's aware of all of that during this conversation and. You know, and it builds to the, you know, the head where he just like and and this is my second. I knew it was coming. I was waiting for it. And I still was just like, yeah, like literally like laughing and like, yes, when he blasted the guy and just like, yeah, that, you know, look at the look on his face. He wasn't expecting that. You know, it's just if it you carries ever... you, it, it sucks you right into the scene and it's not. That's usually not what Star Wars movies or TV shows are about. Is that that kind of storytelling? But boy, oh boy, it it was put in there so well.
1: It I forgot how short the scene was like that's that conversation is only like three or four minutes. Mm-hmm. And so if you ever hear me talk about econ- economic writing, this is the, what I'm talking about, where every piece of dialogue matters every Mm -hmm. single line every single Mm -hmm. frame every single word every single look Mm -hmm. on the actor's faces Mm -hmm. this is economic writing because it does so much in about a three minute time span
2: you need good act you need really good acting to make it work to commute because there's a lot to communicate in this and like tone of voice and 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 just the way someone will look at it and so look at the other person and stuff. And it's just, yeah, it's the, it's the kind of stuff that when you give to actors, it's just like, you know, gourmet food for them. They're just like, ah, let me see. I'll put my big fork down here. The little fork down here. Yes, this will do, very, you know, it just gives them f- fodder for doing their thing. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's well, but that's all I got, so get get going. I'll 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 jump in on yours. But that's yeah, that's all I had to really say mm-hmm. about this. But I'll have more to say about that that, that scene, but
1: I'm just gonna go straight through my long ass fucking list of notes. Um I'm I'm gonna do the Mayfield in the conversation first, and then talk about Den removing his helmet because it's kind of like a lead up, and it's all it's all connected. So, first of all, what I love about the entire conversation with Hess is we're in we're in morally gray Star Wars all over again. It's my favorite, and it frames Mayfield in a completely different light. Because let's be clear here, Mayfield is not a good guy. He ex-imperial he was in he was part of the Spades nazis and all of this but what this scene does is it makes him incredibly sympathetic because he is a victim of a system he believed in and it stabbed him in the back and one of the things that i i thought of was in the season one episode when when um when Den first meets Mayfield, and he's like, "Yeah, he's an ex-Imperial," and Den says something along the lines of, "Well, that doesn't mean much." And Mayfield turns and goes, "I wasn't a stormtrooper, wise ass," because there it's a touch of pride. Like he was a higher rank than just a normal stormtrooper. We know he was a sharpshooter. He was probably a higher rank. We don't know why Mayfield joined the Empire. And something that we've seen so much, especially in animation and in books and in comics, is there's a lot of different kinds of Imperials that Mayfield could have been. He could have been a propaganda child like Tua in Rebels. He could have looked for work in the Empire like Eli Vanto or Cyanaree or or Thane Kyrell, and ended up being good at it. He could have fully believed in the cause like Agent Kallus. And so we don't actually know what kind of Imperial Mayfield was, but all we know now is he was a victim of a system he believed in and it hurt him.
2: At, at some point he made the decision or, you know, he realized that he had a conscience cause that's his basic thing. It's like it's, you know, if you kids if you can live with your, basically if you can sleep at night, if you can live with yourself at some point he realized that he had a conscience and that he had to live with himself. And the only way that he could go forward with the empire would be to completely let go of having any kind of conscience. And he wasn't willing to do that. That's basically sort of what he.
1: And we he, we and found th- out what his conscience was because, because the interesting thing um, I didn't really, I almost brought this up when I was giving the background on operation center, but I decided not to. So I'm going to address it here. There's actually a break like a divide between ex-Imperials who are in the Rebellion. Um, I'm going to say that I have not finished Alphabet Squadron. Alphabet Squadron is a book that is very good, but it's very dense. And every time I read a chapter, I have to put it down for like six months because it's such a dense book. But the character of Erica Quell talks about this. She is an ex-Imperial in a Republic prison. And she talks about the divide between the people who defected after Alderon and the people who defected after Operation Cinder. And because the people who defected after Alderaan were like, oh, we're blowing up planets now. I'm out. And they're actually seen by the rebels as better people because they had a conscience then, while everybody else was just like, no, we're fine with planets blowing up. I'm going to keep fighting. And what happens with Operation Cinder is they start killing their own men. And that's when... Erica was like I'm out and it makes this like divide in in the ex-imperials of just saying like well we left first you guys stayed for the really bad stuff and it's this like really interesting conversation and we know well we don't know if Mayfeld was in the Empire after Alderaan. But we have to assume he is. He's old enough to. But he left because of Operation Cinder, because he watched his entire platoon and civilians and rebels and imperials die. He says, like, what, five to 10,000 imperials died in front of him? Like, that was his breaking point. And what I like about these kinds of stories is it absolutely blurs the line between good and evil, because these are. All space Nazis, regardless. But just like our Nazis in our real world, everyday people who are good people who get caught up in this crossfire, their lives get destroyed because they're stuck in this. And for some people who were living in Germany in the 1930s, there was no other options. They just had to live their life. And so when you start living this way, you do have to make those choices of, if I don't support the Nazis, then I can't feed my children. And that is like, and that is the line that Bill, that uh, Mayfield is talking about of just like, sometimes you just have to do things to survive. Because if you don't, if you're not willing to cross that line, they yeah. will kill you.
2: <clears throat>
1: do you have anything to add before I move on?
2: Nope. Nope.
1: So then we move on the conversation. And, and Hess says that all those Imperials died were heroes. And what he's talking about is Mayfield's friends. Those were probably his found family. Those were his brothers, were his brothers-in-arms. And the thing is, when Mayfield, when, when Hess looks at Mayfield and says, those were Imperial heroes that died for the greater good, he's essentially saying, you, Mayfield, are supposed to be dead with them. And he even said, and, like, Mayfield is just, like, well, what about their families? What about them? Do you think their families gave a shit about the greater good? And I, and, and so, like, there's this whole thing that is interesting about that line is because it goes back to how everyday people, and we saw this with the Sumars in Rebels, Ezra's parents' friends that I can't stand. But the Sumars, the empire comes in, blows up their their farm and goes, "Congratulations, you're imperials now. Go work in our factories." And Tam talked about this in Resistance, where she said, "My grandfather worked in an imperial factory to feed us. Does that make him a bad guy?" And it's it's this kind of storytelling that is good to really make people think. Because we're not saying that Nazis are good, but there is a, a, a really true thing that sometimes people just get caught and they have to make this choice of, do I work in this evil system to feed my children or do I go on the run and I'm constantly looking over my back and endangering my children? And these are really real world consequences and there's, it's hard because there's no real right answer, like there are morally right answers, but there's a time where you have to look your children in the eye and go, do I feed you or do I endanger you? And those are really real-world consequences. And compare it to earlier in the episode where Den is killing locals in self-defenses because he's in an Imperial uh, uniform, and then you have Mayfield citing the civilians dying in Operation Cinder. And what I liked about that for Mayfield's character is Mayfield is aware of when they're driving through the village And talking about the civilians that were killed in Operation Cinder, those two are the same because he recognizes in both cases, they're colonizing. The Imperial was colonizing those planets. And he recognizes the worth and the value of the people who died in Operation Cinder, whether they were Imperial, rebels, or civilians. That day, it didn't matter what side they were on because they were all dead. There was no side anymore. And he saw that. He saw that it didn't matter because compared to the big bad Imperials like Hess, they were all the same because they were all dead. And I I saw that really interesting because he wouldn't have brought it up um, unless it wasn't important to him. And that's what he's telling Hess is that didn't matter if there is no greater good because their value was equal when they all died to you, Hess. And it's just, it's brilliant because Mayfield is so betrayed by these people who were loyal to him. And he realized that they didn't care back. He realized that they were willing to throw him in the garbage and literally burn him and kill him. And that moment changed him. And what I I love about this episode and Mayfield as a character is the unknown. We don't know where Mayfield is going from here. This could be the start of his atonement arc. This could, he could, next time we see Mayfield, he could be this great guy or he could be a morally great asshole forever. It doesn't, we don't know where he's going. And I think that's really exciting for this character because despite wherever he goes, this is still one of the most interesting, deep, incredibly intriguing conversations in all of Star Wars and this conversation is one of my absolutely favorite moments of the entire franchise and Bill Burr acts the shit out of the scene.
2: Yes, he does.
1: Mm, I need a drink of water. You talk if you want to add stuff.
2: Yeah, I don't know what, what else to say about his acting. <laughs> I mean, comedians a lot of times end up being really good actors. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure it was written partly around. Uh, I, it's just it was tailor-made for him. It's it, it's just perf- it was perfection. It was perfection.
1: Now, part two of the Mayfield. Um, This one's much shorter, I promise. The other side of Mayfield's character that I really enjoy is his actions speaking louder than words. Because he has two major actions. Because the thing about Mayfield, he talks. He talks, he talks, he talks, he makes fun of Den, he's bullshitting, he's always talking. But he has two actions that define who he is as a person. The first one is, is seeing Den's face and giving him back his helmet. That is a powerful action for this character who has done nothing but bullshit him and make fun of him. Because what he is doing is honoring Den and his code and respecting him as a person when he didn't have to. He didn't have to have that saying, Den could have just picked up his helmet and put it on. But Mayfield took the time to pick up the helmet and go, I never saw your face. And that is a character defining moment for him. The other action. Well, he was do-
2: also in a probably having a super dopamine rush after finally getting to blast that guy, too, and was just like, hey, man, <laughs> bygones be got bygones. That was great.
1: <laughs> and then the other character defining moment for him is when he shoots the base because they could have just flown away, but it's the choice of him going, I don't want this old life. You know, Hess talks about bringing back the Empire. I don't want that. They are bad. They are killers. They would have killed me if they had the chance. That man would have killed me if he had the chance. And I am making a choice right now to burn this one cog to the ground. I don't want this past to return. And I'm going to make it explode. And that one action is his choice of... I am fully 100% walking away from this life. And what's interesting about this too is it affects Kara. Kara's well, yeah,
2: she it. hates Imperials, so she was just like, "Ooh, nice." And they they were almost like like I could have seen if she was stuck around in the series, maybe them having giving them a sort of little romantic tinge to their characters cuz he was already, you know, he's doing that. They were doing that like Sort of, you know, scrapping with each other as if they were attracted to each other a little bit, you know? This one, you know, he's like, this one's always a ray of sunshine or whatever, but he's always talking, you know, always talking to her and stuff. So...
1: Mm-hmm. And they but, both
2: have a burning hatred of the Imperials.
1: <laughs> but the thing about Ikara is is it, it shows a little bit of her character development, too. Because remember in season one with Kawil? Sweet... I have spoken right. Kaweel. He was a slave. He was a slave. He was enslaved by the empire and she was like, "Nah, you're still evil." Right. You were an imperial. That makes you bad. And Kaweel's like, "Against my will." But like we're seeing Cara ship. and this is like like why I'm fully into recasting her because this character is interesting, and there's a lot of things they could do with her. So I I really want them to recast her because I do actually like the character of Cara Dune. I like the things they're doing with her. But it just blurs that line between good and evil because this entire episode, this entire show, she's been like, "Bah, Bad Imperials. But Kawiel's sacrifice for her life started her change. Seeing Mayfield make a choice to burn his old life to the ground makes another change, and it just Blurs to show that people are a mix of both good and bad. We are presented with difficult choices in life. And sometimes a good person can make a bad choice and a bad person can make a good choice. And it's just really, really good.
2: Well, I would also add that when he blows up the base, he also gets a lot of credit because he's he's sort of going, he's, I mean, that... it's it's really awesome to see the Imperial base blow up. And he was probably just like, he, his probably only thought was, fuck you, Imperials, <laughs> you know. He, you know, might as well add this icing. You know, I just had some delicious cake. Let's put some icing on it. But at the same time, doing that kind of good cover for them it might draw more attention, but the base is blown up. It might, you know, bl- blow up all the security tapes of them walking around and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it, it's, it generally was just sort of, but all he was there was to get him in and get, get the information. That was his, his, you know, what he was there for. He had agreed to do. So it also showed that he like went above and beyond and did a little extra to help out, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, My next point is kind of about the real world um, and how this episode continues to feel timely. So uh, there has been, if you're following any kind of election cycles um, or any kind of attacks or people or mass shootings and everything. um, There's been a lot of rising attacks against minorities and queer people and a lot of the people per- 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 perpetuating these attacks are people who want to sow and create chaos. It's and it's it's organized of we're going to sow this chaos to make the the side that we don't like look weak. And we see this in our politics of just like, "Oh, we we like our veterans, but we're going to vote against them so they get mad at the people in power so then we can take their power." Um stuff like that. And so it was really, when when Hess is talking about that, he's like, we are going to so little attacks and chaos to make the the New Republic look weak. It was just such a timely thing that just reminded me of so much of what's going on in our real world. And I was like, yes, Star Wars, do more of this, please. Thanks.
2: Well, as long as I keep just approaching the topics, even if they... Uh, even if they're not trying to like you know that that uh, but just by broaching these topics it's going to mirror current political things whether they mean it or not so like it's hard to say whether they're you know but if they keep portraying war and the spread of fascism in the way that they're doing it in this story yeah (laughs) so it's gonna and as long as we have like war and and fascist things going on it's gonna it's gonna, re, you know, reflect. So, uh, whether it was on purpose or not, it's hard to tell, you know. But that's, yeah. And finally, kind of depressing.
1: <laughs> it is kind of depressing, but it's it's an important topic to discuss. So
2: very gray.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Very gray area.
1: Um, and finally, let's talk about Den taking off his helmet.
2: I, 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 I. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um so i was i was discussing in act two and it's we're coming back to this Did removing his helmet is where i think the title comes from and you're you're free to disagree with me chris but this is my take on it
2: well he's Um, the only one i could think of like when i was trying to figure out who it was that's he's the only like and it makes sense but Mm -hmm. but go on like I imagine you're probably going to say what I was just going to say. I'll bet.
1: So this goes back to the conversation when Mayfield and Dan are driving along. And Mayfield is talking about the systems we live in and how they affect us and how people essentially want, um, people don't get a choice in these systems. And um, Mayfield says that people change their beliefs based on the scenarios they're in. And the conversation was a push for Den to take break his code and take off his helmet in this act. If we didn't have because I, I, I think that even if they didn't have that chat, Den out of necessity would have still taken off his helmet because taking off his helmet means saving Groku and that's more important to his than his code. But right. that is the situation that Mayfield was discussing of saying that yeah. like people challenge their own beliefs based yeah. on scenarios din had to make this choice between his belief or saving his son and he crossed the very line that mayfeld was talking about
2: yeah well the, the, he he crossed the line with with a little bit of mayfield mayfeld's boot on his ass you know and because when he's sitting in front of that skater and it's like you have 10 seconds to show your face and stuff he's thinking to himself All right, am I going to be able to sleep at night saying that I gave up Grogu because I couldn't take my helmet off for this group of maybe like, what, three people left? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. we only know of two of them, right? There's only like a couple of them that were at that point that well that we saw. But, you know, just a handful of people. Do I would I be able to live with myself if I if I had to just walk away here and like figure it out some other way just because the fact I can't take off my helmet and I obviously can take off my helmet, you know? So Mm -hmm. yeah. And, 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 and the, and the, the thing about it is it was probably an easy decision because he was just like, and, and then his message to Gideon at the end is just, you know, cements that it's not, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a great throw it back in Gideon's face. It's a total, total badass bat- to badass communication. But at the same time, it's that was it's, it's it was kind of Din's internal. You know, he had to, he had to uh, he had to, like, say that to himself, you know, mm-hmm. and once he said that to himself, it, it that that is sort of his code from there, like what he said to Gideon, that's sort of his operating code from now on.
1: Yeah. Um, So like Mayfield was a big change for Den. But there's also one line from Hess that I think really cemented this moment for Den. Because Hess says that everyone thinks they want freedom, but what they really want is order. And that's in the frame of what Mayfield was saying about the Mandalorians and the empires and how they essentially are yeah. creating this order for people to follow and people don't have real freedom. These kind of institutions are safety nets through order, and they make people feel safe, and they don't want to go outside of that. Din's whole cult Mandalorian that he was raised in... Is a form of order because it's a code that gave Den a way to live.
2: They are an order.
1: They are <laughs> that's in, why they that's, call that's,
2: them orders.
1: <laughs> that's true. Um, and and we see that Denton has this safety net. Like we'll, we'll see this in Book of Boba Fett, where when he loses Grogu, he tries to go back to his old way of life. He wants he goes to Peli and he wants another razor crest because that is his comfort zone. That's what he was raised in. But he he keeps again and again finding that he doesn't have he, that his real true freedom is outside of this order. And Grogu changed that for Den because in his pre because now his previous life is essentially been stripped away with every episode of the season. The Razor Crest is gone. He has no home. His entire order has fallen apart around him, and all that we're seeing now is Den taking off his helmet seizing his own freedom and finding this starting to see this new path away from the order and the order is the thing that's holding him back which is why i'm just like wanting a conversation with the armorer to be like you fucked me over with the fuck because this is my child now but it all started with grogu but everything up to this point has led to Den taking off his helmet. That is his choice. He chose to throw out his beliefs. Because he is the believer. He threw out his beliefs. Because saving his son is more important than the safety nets of the way he was raised. Because his freedom and his future freedom with Grogu is more important than the Order. Mic drop. I'm done. I just threw a thing of chapstick on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> that is no, my final. I totally note.
2: agree. Yeah. No. This is this is this is not only just like my favorite Mandalorian. This is just one of those ideal episodes for discussion on J guys and Jedi. You know, it's just the perfect, perfectly tailored show for both of our tastes. Just a, a perfect confection concoction. I. It's more of a meal like but you know being a half hour show it's more like a fast it's yeah it's it's like the greatest fast food it's like you went to get fast food and you went to mcdonald's and on that day like some celebrity chef had taken over the mcdonald's for the reality show and all of a sudden you had like open your big mac and it's got two thin perfectly sliced tenderloin steaks on there you know and handmade big mac relish and stuff and you're just like oh i wasn't expecting this from mm-hmm. mcdonald's
1: it's so good i could this is like 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 bread like this is hope's bread you can turn yeah. it into a sandwich a soup bowl like there's yeah. so much you could do you can make yeah. croutons like um oh this french is my
2: toast french
1: toast uh this is my My bread and butter is Star Wars. And my God, do I love it.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: Do you have any other thoughts about The Believer? I do not. All right, Chris. Score up the episode.
2: 10, 10, 10, 10. It's a 10. I was going to give it like a 9.75, but I was thinking, why would I give my favorite episode of a show, you know, up to this point, anything but a 10? And I have little quibbles on it, you know, little mini quibbles like, you know, about that, like humans and aliens and the humans in the village and stuff. But those are just little quibbles. And I kind of understand why they decided to do that, you know, within the context of the show and also within the larger umbrella of Disney. But, yeah, this is this has the action, the, the fun and like the meat of the stuff that that we like to talk about in it it's just it's just perfect it's yeah it's uh it's basically you know i i was happy with bill burr being in star wars but he was given a very just sort of light general role in the last one and and he continued on with it you know until the meat of this episode so it it sort of blindsided you when all of a sudden he's just like acting up a storm you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh and yeah 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 uh, i i am i i am absolutely convinced we'll see more of mayfeld in the future
3: mm-hmm.
1: 10 yep <laughs> hey 10 guess
2: what? and 10.
1: guess what me too <laughs> Yeah. This is a ten for. I knew going into as, as when we were starting Mando and knowing of the two seasons we have, I knew this is my ten for ten. I love this episode. Mm-hmm. This this episode is my favorite kind of Star Wars. I like I,
2: it a lot better on the second viewing too, because the first viewing I was like, "This is a really good episode," but I sort of viewed it in retrospect as like a low budget episode where part one and part two were kind of just like. A low budget chase and then part three had the meat in it you know and that's where all the effort was but it was you know great meat but no this whole the whole thing it it works yeah it works amazingly well and i imagine i'm gonna like it more the the next time i watch it
1: yeah this is this is my favorite kind of star wars i love morally gray star wars i love stuff like that where it's like Sauger is supposed to be a good guy but he's committing war crimes like like this kind of stuff that makes you really think about the franchise about the story being told about the characters, like people like it makes you think about the layers of the characters like like I said Mayfield's not a good guy. And but at the same time, like they, they frame him very sympathetically because there's a bigger, more evil, terrible fish out there. And I love these stories. Um, that's like why books like Thrawn and Lost Stars are like my favorites, because you have these characters that are just caught and they're victims in a system. And it makes you think about our real world and how these kinds of stories. Reflect our real world, and it does so much for Din as a character. And it is hands down, up to this point of recording, with only two episode, two seasons of The Mandalorian. This is the best episode of The Mandalorian, hands down. And it's so good. And I don't think I, 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 I think I skipped on my notes for time. But my God, give Rick Fumayiwa or, or I'm sorry, Rick Famuyiwa, a Star Wars. Give him a show. Give him a movie. Mm -hmm. Give him a series. Because he has done our two of our favorite episodes. His episodes are this, and he directed The Child, the second episode. One we both love. Yeah, yeah. But he gets Star Wars. He gets the pacing. He gets the themes. He gets the issues. He understands Star Wars in a way that... I think sometimes get lost when you have directors come in just like, I want to play with my toys and make them go pew pew and tell shallow stories.
3: Yeah,
2: no, he, like people, a lot of people have, I mean, he really gets all the, He understands all the levels of star Wars in it. You know, the, the, how to tell the story and, you know, and how to do, you know, stuff that is unusual, but all within still within the same framework and to tell it as a star wars story and to tell it visually you know Mm -hmm. with as little exposition as possible or if there is exposition make it make it you know work on other levels so it's not just telling the story so it feels like actually organic and natural and uh and he knows how to film an action scene which is that's what, like, that's what I, like, like, the first, the first sequel movie, uh, the, the fan, uh, I keep say the, the Phantom Menace. The Force
1: Awakens.
2: The Force Awakens. You know, J.J. Abrams' strong point is feelings between characters and personal interactions and stuff. And it was very strong in that. And, uh, with that, but like the action scenes... Yeah, they were visually, you know, they were they were nice CG and stuff and they were decent, but they never really like had that like feel of like, you know, the way George Lucas did it where it was less like he really thought that stuff out with his toys, you know, he was on another level of playing with his toys. And I thought felt the same way about Ryan Johnson is like his 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 just set piece action scenes were 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 good. But for the most part, you know, what his his strong point was, was the storytelling. But when you get somebody who can do both, boom, then all of a sudden it's Star Wars. It's not a little awkward or anything. It's just it's just perfect. And he hits that balance like perfectly, you know, uh, yeah.
1: Between the child and this episode, Rick has done like. So much more in about an hour's about forty minutes worth. No, it's, it's closer to an hour. About an it's hour's closer worth, to an hour, yeah. About an hour's worth of time than a lot of Star Wars directors have done with full movies.
2: Full movies, yeah. So and, and with like very little dialogue, especially when you put the child in there, which is like the first full, like
1: what set 12 minutes like there's nine, no dialogue it was
2: like 9 minutes yeah or 10 minutes of just no dialogue and then whatever dialogue in there was just you know spare dialogue yep. so yeah
1: economic writing yeah. economic writing that's what i always talk yep. about economic writing yeah um oh, that's boy. why
2: the, that's why the tartakovsky star wars is also one of my favorites too it, it's just like boom that you know he was doing it more in like sketch style i just got reminded of that because i watched the first episode of primal the other day
1: how was it i've heard really good things about it
2: it's i it was only the first episode it's really simple so it's I, good It's one of the it's, things it's, i heard it's, is it's, it
1: gets it get it's it's presented as a as an adventure of the week but there the overarching plot builds in that's what that's how i've heard it presented
2: yeah 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 and uh yeah. And, uh, I've only watched the first episode, but like, it, it's beautiful storytelling, you know, the sound mm-hmm. design is also amazing and it's brutal. It's brutal. Like little kids get eaten and stuff, you know, in graphically by dinosaurs graphically for, you know, Tartakovsky style, but they're chomp, chomp, <laughs> you know, yeah, takes a couple bites to get them down sort of thing, you know? So it's, but it, yeah, it's, uh, it was, uh, and yeah great and that's yeah his his clone wars was just like i'm gonna distill star wars down to the most you know the the, you know the most basic of storytelling and it was it was amazing Mm
1: -hmm.
2: 10 10 10
0: 10 we love you
1: rick please do more star wars (laughs) well as always we would love to hear feedback on itunes twitter or on the two true freaks facebook page this week our feedback from comes from our episode for the marshall we're into mandalorian feedback Woo!
2: all right so this one comes from uh from charles from gold squadron gaze
1: my co-podcaster for for life and dice <laughs>
2: Hope, hope's life and dice co-podcaster mm-hmm. and he says uh If the weak spot of the crate Dragon being under the belly feels like a video game, that's because it's one of the numerous references to Knights of the Old Republic in The Marshall. In the game, you deal with a crate Dragon in exactly the same way for the exact same reason. It is too close to a populated settlement. The difference is in Mando, it doesn't work. And in Knights of the Old Republic, it does. The presence of the crate Dragon Pearl and its desirability by the Tuscans is another one. In-game, you can give it to them to establish peace, as well as the delving into their point of view as Knights of the Old Republic was one of the first major mainstream times that we saw that, but not the first ever story with Tuscans as non-villainous characters. Sherrod Hett beat Knights of the Old Republic by four years. That's probably a, a reference, hope we'll understand and I do not. But I like-
1: did not, I had to Google it and Sherrod Het is a character. And- Sometimes
2: saying something reminds me of a video game is, is like an insult, but other times like, and I didn't know that this was actually part of a video game, but where I've seen stuff in media that's done something from a video game that I've played, you know, and then you see it and a lot of people write that off as being sort of cheap or whatever, you know, but like it's, it, it's, it's really cool to see because it's something you've actually like lived and participated in. And like just say I like I could imagine like playing Knights of the Old I never played Knights of the Old Republic, but playing it and you know, doing that level with the Crate Dragon and then watching this going like you gotta go for the belly. You know, if I was doing it, I would do this kind of attack, you know, and then seeing it play out the the way it did, it would and it being sort semi consistent with the video game would be really cool. All right, the other one comes from Diego Lemos. He says, hello, guys. I couldn't help com- I couldn't comment on the first season because of personal issues, but now I can, so I will. Every time I hear someone say Tuscan, I remember that in the old canon, the names Tuscan and Tuscan Raider were racial slurs created by the colonizers of Tatooine after the destruction of the F- Fort Tuscan by the natives, whom later adopted it as their own name. See, I always thought sand people sounded more like a slur, you know? And the the correct Oh, we're
1: we're getting to that in the comments. Yeah, and the
2: the correct naming convention is, and I'm not kidding you, sand people. I know that there was another name for them, Gorfa. Oh, I've never heard Gorfa before. But what I really find funny, not ha-ha funny, is the story of Fort Tuscan is apparently canon. So who knows, Tuscan might as well still have that negative connotation as and we as viewers simply just don't know it. And that is basically the whole process my brain goes through when I hear someone say Tuscan, since I discovered the that fun fact, and there's more where that came from.
1: You should know that fun facts and quotes. Um, before you go yes, to the next one. Fun look,
2: fact. Yeah. I-
1: I I do appreciate comments like this because neither one of us are like legends people. Um so this was a really insightful comment to be to kind of hear how it used to yeah. be treated versus now. So thank you for this one Diego because we are not legends people, so I really did appreciate this comment. Uh,
2: another thing Hope Molanex explained to me was what CalArt art style is and I, and I would at least like to see how Star Wars show in that animation style would look like.
1: And I I realized cuz I talked about this on two separate occasions. One was when we talked about the celebration episode and the other one was talking about a comment that Diego actually sent us. Um, And I realized I never actually described or explained what the Cal art style is. So I'm gonna do that right now. Um, So what it is, um, is there's technically no such thing as a Cal art style, but it became a catch all term in animation circles of uh, people not fans of shows in the 2010s. So, what it is is that a group of creators about the same time came out of Cal Arts, which is, I think, like the California Art Institute. Um, and they all came out about the same time. Huh? It is. Yeah. Um, and so, a lot of shows in the 2010s in animation circles had very similar looks to them. And we're talking shows. Like Adventure Time, Rick and Morty, Steven Universe, Star vs. For- the versus- Forces of Evil, The Amazing World of Gumball, OKKO, OKKO, Gravity Falls. Like these shows had very similar looks to them because it wasn't purposeful. But the, a lot of those, the creators of these shows came from the same place. Now, it became a negative catch-all for people who didn't like these shows. So a lot of people would be like, oh, it's the Cal art style but what it is is that um they're they're actually quite different from each other, which if you actually watch the shows and the movement of the animations you can see the difference. But just seeing like a still frame of them.
2: Yeah, no, there's a I j I, I totally know what, what what they mean by it. You know, it's just right. a good general description. So it's not gonna get everything, but it just generally does disc, you know. And, and like it sort of reminds me of like early Nickelodeon crossed with the having to like do faster production that like the like the Simpsons and King of the Hill. So it's sort of a like cross between the two, like it's the 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 fatter more and more colorful look of like a children's cartoon. But also, but also they have
1: like what's called like the people dub it the jelly bean mouth where it kind of looks yeah. like a jelly bean with teeth. Yeah. yeah um yeah. when they talk. But it's easy um to
2: animate. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But we're we're starting to see a shift away from this style, even though it's technically not a style. Um, because a lot of shows in the 2020s, like Owl House, Infinity Train, um Mau Mau, Primal, as you mentioned, Amphibia, like they all have very distinctly different styles. And what's interesting is a lot of the people who started on show, like, like like take Matt Braley, for example. He started on Gravity Falls, so he technically like, and he graduated with this group of people, so he has technically worked in the quote-unquote Cal art style, but with Amphibia, Amphibia has a lot of similarities to it, but it's kind of like the next stage of him. So same thing with Dana Terrace. She also worked on Steven Universe and, and Gravity Falls, which are both have very similar looks, but Owl House looks drastically different. So there's actually no no such thing as a Cal art style, but it became a negative catch-all term for people who are just like, "Oh, I hate Steven Universe and Gravity Falls because they're Cal art style, but it's not really a thing." So when I say that I want to see a Star Wars in a Cal art style, I mean it as a fuck you. As pe- to people who are just like, oh, well, they have these jelly bean mouths and they look a certain way. And I want to see Star Wars being like, yeah, we made a fucking TV series about it. <laughs> like, I that's what I mean, because it is it was a very distinct style of the. Well, 20-time. I
2: mean, if they can do Lego Star Wars, they could do a Cal Art style Star Wars. It wouldn't yeah. be like that, that breaking from anything they've, you know, they've done before.
1: So, yeah, when, so when I say, like, a Cal Arse style, that's what I mean. It's like the animated shows of the 2010s. Oh, my goodness, Chris, it's been so long.
2: Yes, well.
1: Since we had candy. And well, today it's just
2: a teeny tiny candy, but are you smelling this thing?
1: I haven't opened it yet because I have to give my intro. So, as you know, uh, by this time, after all this time, Chris hates American Kit Kat. So, our friend Dario... Who is a flight attendant and Chris's co-podcaster for Eden and Beat It? Sends his candy from all over the world. But this candy is somewhat local because it is the Kit Kat pumpkin pie and it's made here in the United States. Oh, it smells
0: like fall!
1: It smells like autumn! Oh wait, my god. It, my, it, my white girl pumpkin spice latte I was of just lots gonna lots. say, wait
2: till you bite into it, white girl.
1: Mm. <laughs> it's, so good. It it, it's just so like good. pumpkin
2: pie, doesn't it? It's even got a crustiness to it. Mm,
1: it has a cinnamonness to it too. Oh my god. Oh. Mm, it tastes like fall Chris! I'm so happy. You
2: hear that, viewers? See that? Mm. Pumpkin spice is like is mm. like magical elixir mm. or, or drugs to white girls.
1: Oh, look at my skin. It just got paler mm-hmm <laughs> and glowing. In if the you eat too much of it,
2: you'll just sort of disappear. Uh, become invisible.
1: you want to hear something stupid? While I was doing my um Act3 recap, I had a moment where I was scared because out of the corner of my eye I just saw like a thing because it's dark right and I'll, when I look out my window all I see is blackness because it's dark. and out of the corner of my eye I saw a thing that startled me and then I realized it was the moon. <laughs> <laughs> but it scared me because i didn't see it because the moon just crept into my window while i was doing F three and i was just like oh what's that oh it's the moon all right well anyway uh the sad skills Um. <laughs> so, mm, dario that was so good that was Thank delicious you so much mm. mm, 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 mm oh man i'm I'm a happy camper mm, oh, I'll, be make, just...
2: I'll be making pumpkin cornbread pretty soon so
1: which one's the good one the serotonin or the dopamine
2: yes they're both good
1: i just have both of them churning through my brain they, right they now both make,
2: mm. they both make you feel good yes mm.
1: Mm, mm, Do- mm.
2: dopamine is more of like the reward one and ser- serotonin is like the like warm feeling sort of, you know, serotonin is more like cuddling with your cats where dopamine is more like playing a video game or like getting the perfect dunk in on someone on the cesspool they call Twitter or something like that.
1: Mm -hmm. Hey, that's a good segue. I think
2: I think dopamine is like when you're jogging and the serotonin is when you're like relaxing after jogging.
1: Mm, Gotcha. Wow. Uh, if you don't have anything else for The Believer, where can people find you, Chris?
2: You can find me at That That is our website. And it has all our podcasts, including a brand new podcast, Hope, called Not The Loser's Lounge with Chris Tyler and Thomas DJ.
1: Oh, my God. Tell me all about it.
2: It is a podcast where they have taken a list of I believe it's the top fifty, top twenty, or top fifty, but the top um, box office bombs of all time.
3: Oh and they're my go- god! They're gonna
2: watch them and go over them. The first, the first episode, it'll be up by now.
1: Oh my god, that sounds it's, amazing! It's,
2: go- it's going up in a couple days now, so it's already up on Two True Freaks, and their first one is is uh, John Carter, the Disney bomb based on john carter warlord of mars which i've heard good things from from like scott Gardner and uh, dave atterbury and uh, who are both big fans i think dave atterbury is a really big fan of it a lot a lot of people have really liked it it just it sounds more like a disney bungled the promotion of it they didn't know how to deal with it more than it was a bad movie but i i haven't actually I, i well i've I've listened to the show, but I don't want to give away the the contents of the show. But they, you know, they they both watched John Carter. I believe they had not watched it before, and and uh, talk about it. And I I sing the intro to the show.
1: Dude, that's awesome! Oh, so,
2: so every every episode you'll hear my wonderful singing voice. And you can also find us on Facebook, where we have the two true freaks podcast group and the two true freaks cantina group the first one is where you'll go to find out out what we're posting up and the second one is where you go to talk about stuff stuff and we are also on twitter and our twitter is run by the steadfast and true gene gene the acer voices machine
1: I like how you had to pause. Like, I need to give Gene a title. Got to think of yeah. the uh, the thing machine. Gene is now a thing machine. Beep.
2: <laughs> I need to prepare. I need to. I need to prepare my my Gene material before the show. To, to really, like, <laughs> I mean, Gene is many faceted, but we're on show three thirty four now. So come on.
1: I mean, that's why every once in a while we just have to go back to the classic.
2: <laughs> I think this one's actually 336. What am I talking about? This
1: is 336.
2: Yeah, we're doing 336. 344 is going up tonight, but it's already up by the time you're listening to this. Isn't that confusing? It's confusing. But anyway, where yes. can they find you, Hope?
1: <laughs> you can find me at j Jedi on Twitter. I run our Twitter account. You can also find me at Hope HopeMullinax on Twitter. And that's where you can see, like all my cool stuff, because I am still writing for the Geeky Waffle, um, I just found out today that Dead in Paranormal Park is coming for Season 2, and I'm still working through my Season 1 recap, so I need to have a fire under my ass now, because I gotta get those done! Um, um, also, as I said at the top of the show, I am now one of the co-podcasters for 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 Light and Dice which is a Star Wars 5e tabletop podcast based in the High Republic, where I play a gazo named Gaz. And she, you can come see all my antics over there. Um, Like for, and what's fun about this is it's my first tabletop game. I've never played tabletop before. So um, I will give you one funny anecdote. Um, I'm not used to having to check for things in role plays. So for example, um, Jess, who is my awesome non-binary host. Their character name is Lysander, and I, my character is from Coruscant. Lysander was coming to Coruscant for the first time, and I was just like, when our ship landed, and I was like, go see it, Lysander! And I shoved him, and Chris, our DM, goes... You know the landing ramp's not down, right? You have to check for those things. And I was like, what? And so apparently Lysander failed his role and I essentially shoved him into a wall and then he went down a ramp. (laughs) And I was like, oh shit, sorry. First time playing tabletop. I didn't think about that. I just thought we would leave the ship. Oops. So it's fun because I'm learning and you get to hear me talk to a snake. And and try and convince a snake that we don't actually want to kill a gungan so we are having a lot of fun antics over there for light and dice it is out by now go check it out i'm very proud of it i'm very excited about it um and i'm the other thing i'm super proud about and excited about is i am a contributor for dork Side of the force i am writing about star wars all the time professionally it is a professional gig i'm super excited and i'm working on my first big piece I'm hoping it's out by now because it's about the recent history of the horrible events happening in animation with companies like HBO Max and Netflix and Discovery and how it affects Lucasfilm. And it is heavily researched, it has over like 50 links in it because I've been researching for a week now and I'm very proud of this piece so please go check out my work at Dark Side of the Force because I like to get paid for things. (laughs) go go check it out so yes that's where you can find me holy shit season two of mando went by really 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 fast because next week is the season two finale
2: yep this was the penultimate
1: holy shit so wow and i was bemoaning this season and i've had a really good time i guess that's what happens when you when you set bars really low (laughs) <laughs> well who know
2: you know who knows where you were in your life at that at that moment of time and like i was ha- in
1: the i was in covid 19 chris it was the pandemic
2: yeah. yeah so you know you know could have flavored flavored some of your your feelings towards towards the mandalorian i don't know maybe maybe it just bears up better under a second viewing it, I, it definitely has for me it feels more uh, cohesive than it did in my memory
1: Let me, hold on. I was, I had just, I haven't even, like, fully started the Kiki Waffles yet because I had started with, I had started podcasting with the Waffles August of 2020, but I didn't actually start writing with them until, like, June of 2021. So, like, it's crazy how much time, like, how much has happened in the last two years. And, like, I don't know, I kind of have a career now and it's kind of crazy and I don't know how I feel about it. I found my first gray eyebrow on my 35th birthday. (laughs) And I had a moment, Chris. I had a moment. Uh, The thing is, is this fucker was long too. Like, how did I not notice it until, like, I was 34, never noticed it. I turned 35 and then I looked in the mirror and there's a big fucking long gray eyebrow and I was like how the fuck did you turn overnight like a goddamn vampire like what the hell just happened and then I had him anyway I'm rambling now come back next week where hopes not having a crisis of identity for when we are going to be wrapping up the Mandalorian talking about chapter 16 the rescue thank you for remaining quiet during that entire segment you're a very, very very good friend Chris
2: thank oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> alright guys see you I... next week for the rescue bye
2: bye 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 <laughs>
0: Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. And I remember, no, I remember that school year in June. I could talk to somebody my age, and then over the summer, Star Wars came out, and by September, I didn't know what anybody was talking about. They were all talking about the Force and Chewbacca, and all of that. You hadn't seen it? No, I did. I never saw it. I, I saw it later. By the time then, I was too old, and I was like, this is like a cheesy self-help book, <laughs> putting outer space with like Muppets. <laughs> like I really don't. No, I know. I don't. I don't get it. I don't get what. I missed it. You got to be a kid, right? You guys all saw it when you were a kid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. You didn't see it. I had perspective. Like I saw it when I was like 27. (laughs) I was just like, ah, it's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing crazy.